This episode was brought to you by the Social Fishing Membership, Australia's fastest growing freshwater platform, giving you the resources to catch more fish. Welcome to the Social Fishing Podcast. My name is Reese Creed. I'm a passionate angler and I want to share as much as I can about the sport we all love. On this podcast, we speak to incredible anglers, sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge, all to help you reach your fishing dreams. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's begin. Hey guys, now don't forget, Go Fish Nagambi is only a month away. It is from the 10th to the 13th of February. It is going to be exciting and it is a cracker of an event. If you have never been, you have to go to Go Fish Nagambi. Not only because it's an awesome festival, an awesome fishing competition, but because you could have the chance at winning yourself $80,000 cash for catching the biggest Murray Cobb. But don't forget, there are so many other cash and prizes to give away. So that is Go Fish Nagambi. It is Australia's premier freshwater fishing competition. There is so much on, so much to do, whether you're a keen fisher, whether you're just fishing with a family, there's so many different opportunities. There's even prizes for carp as well. It is a great event. Make sure you get there. There are still tickets left to enter. Go Fish Nagambi, the 10th to the 13th of February. It has been pulled forward a little bit this year to coincide with the awesome fishing in the summertime at Nagambi Lakes. I'll be there, guys, and I'd be keen to see you there as well. So if you want to register and if you want to be a part of it, jump on the socials, check out GoFishNagambi or go to gofishnagambi.com.au. G'day everyone and welcome to the first episode for 2022. Happy New Year and I hope you all had a good Christmas and holiday break and we are back again with another episode and we've got some exciting ones coming up as well. This is episode 59 of the Social Fishing Podcast and I'm joined by a good mate of mine who I've spent a fair bit of time on the water fishing with over the last couple of years, Dan Weber. Now, if you follow us in the membership, if you watch a lot of our content, even our YouTube videos, you will notice Dan pops up quite a lot. I've been meaning to get Dan on for an episode about him and about Burren Jack for quite some time. He featured in the Coach episode and also the cod opening episode for 2021 and finally we've sat down and done an episode just about dan himself now you will see him on regular appearances of the podcast you'll also see him in plenty of videos and our live q a's inside the membership and you'll get to know him a fair bit He's a super keen angler, spends a lot of time on the water, has an incredible amount of knowledge, especially on Golden Perch and Murray Cod and on Burrenjuk Dam and dams in general. Spends a lot of time using his sounders, so he really knows technology quite well. And it's been a privilege to know him over the last couple of years and spend a bit of time fishing with him and he has a massive passion for fishing and also sharing and knowledge and helping others and that's why he had no problem at all sitting down and having a chat with me for this episode so what's to come there's a few things we talk about dan and he's how he how he grew up how uh, he fished how he learned how to fish then we also during the middle of it, he actually opens up a little bit about a tough time that he went through himself um, in life, not not fishing related, just in life in general and, and how he overcome it, just overworked himself and basically just had a big crash and a big meltdown and he, uh, he runs through what actually happened, how it happened and I thought it was quite good of him to do that and quite relevant as well. I know this is a fishing podcast but 
there's, we all go through things in life and a lot of us use fishing as an escape and there might be there might be others that might be you, you listening might be going through something similar so I thought it was really good of Dan to open up and sort of explain how he how he got through it how he pushed through to the other side and 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 where he is at now all around life work balance and also fishing as well so that was really good of him and there's a massive chunk of this podcast which is about Barrenjuk Dam so we talk about Barrenjuk how Dan used to fish it and then how it can have its swings of really really tough and really really good but it is an incredible fishery and I do love fishing it quite a lot living quite close and then towards the end of the episode we talk a little bit about fish behavior cod behavior and what we've noticed over the last couple of weeks as well as the last 12 months using live tech but just how the fish behave and how we've managed to get them to bite and then what you can do with your lures from what we have learned, especially uh, fishing over the last couple of weeks in summer and how these summer cod have been behaving. So anyway, it is a jam-packed episode. There is plenty to learn, so I won't talk anymore. So welcome, guys, to 2022, like I said. We're going to have plenty of podcast episodes coming your way, and I hope you learn and get a stack from this one. So without further ado, guys, let's jump in and talk with the one, the only, Dan Webber. So Dan, mate, finally got you on for a podcast to talk about you. It's been some time. Um, we've done a lot of other stuff together, but thanks for joining me for this one. And sorry, it's been a little while. No, it's so easy, mate. It is. Um, yeah, good. Good to catch up again, as always. Um, yeah, we have done a, a fair bit together over the last twelve months, but um, yeah, a lot of fishing and yeah, a few little podcast bits and pieces here and there. But yeah, no, I look forward to sitting down having a chat. Um, yeah, catch up about the jack and few other bits and pieces so it should be good mate yeah because i got you on it was just good time when we uh did that copeland trip yeah so we did one up there which was good fun and okay if i ask you one thing about that copeland podcast yeah what's one thing that jumps to mind that you remember just about the podcast on its own? you know what it is straight away yeah it's not fishing related no it's those yahoos on the opposite bank yeah, how funny! Tell us all that. So we were we were we were doing the podcast in the car by the fire. Yeah. You probably hear the fire crackling, and there was these blokes, and it, I felt like they were getting louder and louder on purpose. But I don't think they were. I don't even think they realised we were there. No, and they were having a real good time. Uh, they they tipped a fair few in by that by that stage, mate. I think. And they even camped right on the water's edge. And I think the next morning, yeah. they almost were flooded. Yeah, I reckon, just... and they were still sitting there. Yeah, yeah, they didn't they didn't get out of bed as early as us, mate. They had a pretty big night, those blokes. So um, they were probably pretty lucky to get away with it with uh, without being flooded out there. I reckon. That's funny. If anyone listened to it, you might have heard. Of. I know that when you listened to it and watched it back, listened yeah. to it back, you're like, "Geez, those guys got loud." That's funny. <laughs> and then we did. I had you on just the other week for that cod opening special, which was good. But yeah, this yeah. one I wanted to get you on talk about you because we've done. If you remember, guys, listening, you'll know Dan. We do the um, live Q&As a fair bit and obviously all the videos throughout the membership. Um, but to talk about you, mate, so tell us, we'll get into a bit of other stuff, um, yep. but tell us the story at the start, how you got into fishing, where you grew up, why, why you loved it. Yeah, sure. Um, mate, I was pretty lucky as a young fellow. I had um, my dad and my pop to teach me how to fish. Um, my pop was a... Yeah, mad fisherman. He f- sort of fished for a living a bit for a bit up there at uh, Foster on the north coast, um, and we would spend a couple of weeks every year when I was a kid up there at Foster, 
and I mean Blackfish was the was the main sort of target. Pop used to love that, and so did Dad. So, mate, I remember those early mornings of you know getting up before four thirty in the morning, get down onto the uh, breakwater there, and just wait for the tide to change and the sun to come up, and and we get into them. So, that's sort of where I originally learned how to fish, sort of cut my teeth, I suppose you call it up there at Foster. Can you tell me that you you had to get upgraded to the blackfish or the outside yeah. of the break wall? Yeah, that's true, mate. Yeah, so um, Dad and Pop would fish on the on the tidal side on the on the on the uh, estuary side, and I was restricted to fishing in the enclosed water little marina up there at Foster. Um, so I had the exact same outfit as what they did, you know, same sort of similar sort of setup, and um, yeah, now I was restricted to catching mullet on the uh, on the non-tidal side. Um, and that was basically just to get me used to using that gear. They were pretty long. I think they're about nine foot, ten foot rods we were using back then. And um, yeah, nice long quill floats and you know all little uh, split shots and things to weigh things down just right. And yeah, now I used to mould the bread onto the hook and and hook into the mullet there, mate. And um, yeah, once Dad decided I was ready to switch over to the the tidal side of things, and I was allowed to to fish with the big boys, I suppose you call it. So mm, that's um, pretty cool. Yeah, look, I, yeah, I'd really do. Um, I, I, I reckon I'm pretty lucky, mate, to um, to have had that sort of introduction into fishing. And you know, Dad would, um, you know, he'd let me or make me, I suppose you'd probably say, untangle any tangles that I got, and and basically, you know, really was determined to make me learn properly how to do it and to be independent as well. So. Um, and obviously, as that sort of wore on through the years, it meant that he could fish a lot better himself because he didn't have to worry about me all the time. So, um, mm. yeah, no, it was it was really good, mate. Yeah, that's a good way, hey. Because as like I'm just coming in, I've got a two year old, so I'm just yeah. Start, I'm not there yet, but you would have, you've had your boys right through that kind of age. Yeah, and it would be quite easy to just be like a charter boat guide for him. Yeah. Like, yep. It'd be that easy to go right just i'll fix it i'll tie it i'll do it you chuck it out and we'll try and catch a fish because maybe it might help catch yeah. a fish on that trip yep. in that moment but that's right if you do if you're allowed to learn the whole process like you were yep it's got to be more beneficial and i know we're talking about fishing which is a recreational thing but yeah obviously if he teaches you that way in fishing you learn that way in life as well absolutely which is probably more important yeah, well, I I think that's, you know, just the upbringing that I had um, with Dad. It was, um, you know, always teaching me how to do things rather than, you know, doing it for me type of thing. And, and I do exactly the same thing with my boys and it drives them mad and sometimes it drives me mad too. But I think it's it's all about a bit of a long game there and it definitely does teach, um, you know, some good life skills some good habits for when they uh, get out and get into the workforce and have to cut their own way through life, I suppose. Have you got an example for me? That you've, for everyone, I'm just thinking that like you've used or you've done with your, it might be hard to think of off the spot because it's just natural, everyday um, sort of things that all add up. Obviously, that fishing example you gave of your old man yep. makes sense. Have you got one that's not fishing or with your boys that you've done for them that probably, where they hate you for it in the moment? <laughs> probably not off the top of my head, mate, to be honest, but I do remember, um, you know, even teaching Dill, who's 13, um, basically how to retie his own leader knot. Um, and, you know, for a 13-year-old, that's not all that easy to do, I suppose, but it basically got to the point where I was a little bit sick of tying him and, and he was a little bit sick of sort of sheepishly asking me, Dad, I've busted off again, can you tie me leader? And, um, 
yeah, there was one sort of after a trip where we were sitting in the shed and he, um, yeah, he came out to give me a hand to, to unload and, you know, charge batteries and put lures back in case, basically tidy up after a trip and he sat there and learned how to tie uh, a Slim Beauty and that's the knot he's been using ever since and, um, you know, that, that was sort of a big step and it was something that he was he was proud that he, he was able to do that. Um, yeah. He was probably it was probably a little while ago now, so he was probably a bit younger than thirteen. He's he's pretty fluent with him now, sort of thing, and he's starting to move on to tying an FG and things like that. So, um, but you know, in yeah, in that moment, it would be a hell of a lot easier to just tie tie it for him. Um, but I'd still be tying it for him now if I, if I did it back then as well. So, and Henry Henry yeah. would be exactly the same way. Um, Henry's probably a little bit less patient than his than his older brother, so that could be interesting for uh, for him to learn. But um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's just I think it's important, and, and it does ring through right right through life. I think where you know you've got to get stuck in, you've got to be determined and learn, and and uh, that way you, you build your your life skills up. Yeah, that's awesome. So go back to how old were you on the break wall chasing the blackfish, and then roll us through um, the rest of the story. Mate, I believe I got my first blackfish outfit as such when I was nine. Right, so it took you a bit to upgrade, like you would have been pretty young on the other side? Yeah. Six, six or seven? Um, Or no, not really, probably only there for a year and then... Yeah, no, I was probably only there for, I'm going to say a couple of seasons, like a couple of trips up. I used to go up there in October, um, because that's when the blackfish used to run really well, and we actually used to take two weeks off school because, um, you know, accommodation was cheaper and, and things like that, so it made it easier for mum and dad to be able to take us up there because the uh, you know the expense wasn't quite so high. So, um, yeah, so that was a holiday trip. So that's you right, in yeah. Sydney. Yeah, so we were in um, like Western Sydney at a place called Greendale, which is like pretty far Western Sydney, I suppose you call it. Um, yeah. Not far from sort of Warragamba Dam, closer to, to the mountain sort of thing. So, um, yeah. And yeah, we'd just yeah, take the four-hour drive up there. and Well, it was probably a bit longer than four hours back when we were doing it, mate, because the... Uh, the roads weren't quite as good on the way up there as what they are now, that's for sure. So, yeah. I remember me pop, he used to drive an old HR station wagon up there, mate. So, I still remember that car pretty well, actually. So, um, yeah, they were pretty long hauls to get up there, and it was good. But, um, yeah, so I'd, I'd, I spent, you know, back to what we we're talking about, I spent probably a couple of years, a couple of trips up there, um, fishing on the non tidal side. And um, I think it was my birthday or Christmas or something that, yeah, I got, got my first blackfish outfit. And, um, you know, I'd fish with that for at least one trip on the non-tidal side as well. And I, I may have even had that, you know, all the way through when I was fishing for the mullet in, in the marina sort of thing. And, yeah, yeah. it was just eventually they'd just decided, right, oh, well, you know, you better come over here and, and give these blackfish a go. And, um, yeah, I'd, you know, I I'd, I'd really do have really fond memories of those days, getting up, you know, in the dark and... I guess it's probably part of the reason why I don't have much trouble doing it now, getting up in the dark chasing cod. It's just, it's always something that I've done, I suppose, even from a kid. So, um, yeah, my first blackfish was, yeah, I still remember that one too. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's just, just those things that stick in. And then, you know, it's going back near 30 years now, sort of thing. So, um, yeah, just, just good memories, mate. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And then did you fish? much around home so how did that develop that's your your trip away yep. every year then how did that develop into what you did back home yeah so we had the Nepean river pretty close to us and it was all um just private farming country 
um, along there. And, and it, in that those days, sort of thing, no one, no one sort of worried. So we just walked through paddocks and and you know find our way onto the river. And uh, most of the time, it was just walking the banks and um, just flicking little surface lures and little divers and small spinner baits and stuff at the Aussie bass that were in there and um, chasing big carp. That was always good fun too. There's some absolute monster carp in that river. So um, that was good. And, mate, eventually we started actually bringing some of those bass home. I'm probably, you know, not sure it was totally legal at the time, but we'd chuck them in a bucket and we'd, we'd bring them home in a bucket and put them in the, in the next door neighbor's dam. in a massive dam next door. And we re- yeah. we, we stocked that up with, with bass and, um, you know, then we had a, a fishery right there in our backyard. So, uh, those, That's cool. those bass grew fat and fast. Uh, it took them a few years to be, you know, in the forties and they were fatter than any fish we'd ever seen come out of the river there. So, um, but yeah, that was, you know, I don't know, I guess that's another example of being determined to, to do what you want to do. And yeah, we'd carry a 20 litre bucket down there. And if we caught the smaller ones, we'd throw them in the bucket, we'd bring half a dozen home at a time. And it took us a couple of years to get them stocked in that dam, but once they were there, they were good fun. What uh, age were you there doing that? Oh, geez. Um, that was probably oh, into my early teens, I suppose, I would, I yeah. would guess. Um, you know, I was obviously strong enough to carry a 20-litre bucket half full of water and fish, so um, the exact age, I'm not sure, mate, but I'd say I was probably younger than 15. Um, yeah. And yeah, so that was you know that's what we what we got up to locally. Um, sometimes we'd sort of take a trip down to down sort of Wollongong Way, uh, fish some of the places down there like Windang and places like that. Um, and actually, Windang's a place where I first got into throwing soft plastics for flathead. Um, right. And that's going back to I'm going to say the. Um, the squidgy soft plastic rage was really going mad. Um, yeah. You know, I got all those videos and stuff when I was a, that was, you know, Christmas and birthday presents from mum and dad was, you know, how to use squidgies, the basics, and then right throughout the series sort of thing. So um, I'm not even sure when that was now, to be honest, but I know I was a bit older by then. And that sort of, yeah, that sort of just rolled into that. But I mean, in between that, there was, you know, high school starting and, um, you know, plenty of other things going on in a, on a, in a young teenager's life, I suppose. And, um, yeah, I guess a fishing was, you know, something I've always done, but it was probably a little bit on the sideline there for a little while, I suppose. Yeah, right. So it's not like you were out every weekend no. through that period. It's like no. it was something yeah. you just did once every couple of months or every Yeah, month that's right. I mean, obviously when, school. yeah, and when the, the fishing was better in the river, obviously we, we'd get down through the summertime, but over winter we didn't do a whole lot of fishing back then. Yeah. So, but yeah. And um, then how did you get from, because that whole story is all salt water, well, a bit of bass, but it's yep. all coastal. Yep. In this like Sydney region, how did that turn into what you do now? Yeah, okay. So, you know, a couple of decades pass and just about. And um, yeah, I, you know, basically moved out of home, bought a little place there and a little, little tiny yard. So I was pretty lucky when I grew up. We had, you know, acreage and. Um, you know, we're on 25 acres and all around us is all farm and country and, you know, we used to go out and chase rabbits and do whatever else for, you know, days at a time. And uh, so when I moved out, moved into a little block, mate, I didn't handle that too well. So I started looking pretty quick to get out of Sydney and um, get, get a bit of country of my own. And 
And so, yeah, moved down to Cootamundra. Um, that was about 11 years ago now. Um, and I'd fished, you know, I had fished some of these waterways down here before um, I left. I used to do trips down here once I was old enough to drive. I'd come down to the Jack and I'd fish Blowering and um, Wyangla was a pretty, pretty uh, regular sort of a haunt for us. And um, yeah, so then, yeah, moved down to Cooter and yeah, just really started to um, knuckle in on, on Bar and Jark. Um, in those early days, I did struggle a little bit to, to you know, sort of fish it consistently. And yeah. that really just got under my skin. I couldn't, I, I didn't deal well with not being able to just pull up and, and you know, put a bead on the fish straight away. So I yeah, yeah. started fishing that more and more. And obviously as, you know, business went on, like I've got my own plumbing, little plumbing company here in Coota and, um, you know, we got that established and, you know, I've got some employees going for me now, a couple of good young workers and that obviously allowed to, allowed me to, a, a bit more spare time to put into my fishing and, um, yeah, that's when I really sort of, probably over the last five or six years, mate, I've really, um, yeah, really knuckled into the fishing side of my life and, um, yeah, it's been going really good. I've been able to get some pretty good results by basically spending a heap of time in the water, so... Um, yeah that's sort of yeah that's how i ended up where i am now and now it's yeah just fishing's yeah fishing's the main priority to be honest so you 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 know how you just said you don't like like that those early days you didn't um like not having a bead on the fish yeah um tell us about last winter (laughs) (laughs) okay is that an early day no i'm kidding i'm kidding that's (laughs) that was a um just a a tough winner wasn't it just a minor speed bump mate yeah, that's look, a good way to look at it. To be honest, I haven't been into the big winner cod chasing thing for all that long. Um, it's probably well, not many people have, to be honest. No, and I was probably, I certainly wasn't on the front end of that sort of big movement of chasing them in the winter time. I've really only done it for a few seasons. So, um, yeah, so last the winter just gone was a really good one. Obviously, caught a lot of big fish. The winter before was terrible. I think I only boated like three or four fish for the whole winter. You dropped a lot though. Yeah, I did, and um, I know that I've told you the story about the bloke and the kayak coming in behind us there one morning, and yeah, hooked up to an absolute clanger of a fish and dropped him, and basically lost me lolly and had a bit of a tantrum, and uh, found out later on this bloke come along in his kayak and caught his first ever Murray cod out of a kayak, and it was you know a meter three or a meter thirteen, something ridiculous, and. I remember thinking to myself, that was, yeah, that's possibly that fish that I'd hooked and that really would Very have, close. yeah, that would have changed yeah. my season pretty quickly and I remember another one where, yeah, actually pulled a hook out of the back of a lure and um, that was another big fish that was pretty frustrating because, yeah, again, you sort of done everything right and, and um, yeah, just didn't stay connected to that one, so, but that's, you know, that's the way it goes and I was, yeah, it, it just makes me grip my teeth a bit more and, and, and fish harder, basically. Yeah, um, I just had to have a go at you. Yeah, <laughs> oh, no, you did. <laughs> I felt like it. Um, so I just want to go back to yeah. you. You you lived in the Sydney. Why did you do? Can you remember why you travelled down and fished the freshwater? Because you know, I I know a lot of people who live on the coast. It's it's nothing. I know a lot of people who do. Like I know heaps of people who live in the city, chase salt, and they do their annual yeah. three or four time a year freshwater f- sessions. Which I'm guessing that's what you did when you're up there. Yeah. Do you remember why you? brought yourself to go from, you know, blackfish, flathead and bass to come and chase cod at Blaring and Barrenjack because they are totally, totally different styles of fishing. So can you remember uh, why you did that? 
I think it. I think you just said it. I think it was because it was diff. It's a completely different way to fish. Um, so you, it, the cod intrigued you as a fish. Absolutely, I was looking to just keep pushing, keep learning, just give me more, basically. And yeah, I. I mean, I remember. I've still got these books. Um, Encyclopedia of Australian Fishing. They were published in like 1979 or something. And I would read these books for weeks and weeks, I mean, before we go and do these trips to Foster right when I was a kid. Yeah. I got them from an old uncle or something and, you know, um, they were well outdated. And But for me, it was all new information. So to me, it was, it was, it was relevant. Yeah. So, you know, so you'd be reading all about these saltwater species and, you know, you'd flick through and be like, oh, Murray Cod, jeez, they, they look really cool. Like, you know, big yep. fish. You know, got pretty cool lures they use for them and things like that. It was, you know, it, it just puts that idea in your head, and um, I don't know, it just something just gets it under your skin, just gets in you like a bit of a bug, and right, oh, we've got to go and find out what this is all about, and go and explore. And you know, those those early trips are pretty hard going because doing a one off trip, you know, once or twice a year to a freshwater dam could be pretty hard going. So, um, yeah, but again, it it sort of you know, the determination never waned, I suppose. It was always um, just more more fuel for the fire to, to get back and, and work them out again, I guess. Do you reckon that you your move to the country, that was just because you wanted land and I think you had family in Cooter. Yeah. Um, so did, did fish at all, would it have all made a part of that decision or not really? But Oh, oh mate, yeah, no, I absolutely guarantee that I looked at a map and said I've got some pretty good waterways but an hour and a half of, of Cootamundra so um, so does it do you do you feel like you would you're happy that you ended up chasing fresh or could you have quite easily been as passionate about fishing right now and be chasing what you were chasing when you first started um, that's a tricky like just, one I don't sort of yeah I don't sort of try and live in a different reality if, yeah. if you know what I mean um, but I can't uh, I don't know. I guess I'd be chasing jewies and and those sort of you know pinnacle estuary species. I suppose if I was up there um, on the coast somewhere. But mate, to be totally honest, I really can't imagine being anywhere else other than where I am now. So yeah, cool. It's, yeah, it's just I'm just interested to see how people um, get to the fish that they end up on. You know yeah, what I mean? Sure. Like yeah. yeah, I've started fresh and I can't. No way I'll ever change. Yeah, like it's just. I don't even do coastal trips. The last coastal trip I did was five, six years ago. Yeah. And people ask, oh, don't you go down the coast and chase this or that? And I'm like, it doesn't interest you, interest me as much as... Because yeah. there's so many places that I still want to fish in the fresh, like, and different uh, styles you want to use because it's yeah. such a hard fish to catch. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So... No, exactly right. I mean, even you've only got to take one dam. You could fish one dam your whole life and still never cover it properly. Like it, yeah. you know, because it's just always evolving with seasons and water levels, and you know, just the fish's behaviour within you themselves that you'll never understand, and so you know, you never get bored. You never, yeah, you, know, you basically, it's hard to do the same thing twice, really, because it's always different. So take away cod from that scenario. Yep. Do you reckon it's different if you're looking at bass or yellows? Because to me, it is. I could uh, not get bored, but because you can catch yellows so many different ways and bass yeah um to me that w- it wouldn't have the same effect as cod do because cod is so smart and hard to catch yeah but sure. i reckon if they weren't there then i reckon that scenario is different to me what about for yeah you? 
I haven't done a lot on impoundment bass, um, but I've definitely done heaps on chasing impoundment yellows, and I absolutely love fishing for yellows. I really do. I really do like it. I, they're they're obviously an easier fish to catch, but they're a really inquisitive, reactive sort of fish, and um, you know I've had some pretty pretty fun trips, and I still really enjoy going to chase them. So, look to be honest, if you took the cod away, I'd, I'd still fish fresh i'd just go yep. and fish yellows um yeah that's i was more talking about that one dam that i'm saying you never you know you can fish the same dam your whole life yeah 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 um like yeah, still, there's no way i'd fish salt too i'd still fish yellows yeah. and that in different waterways <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah i'd yeah i'd, I'd probably still um i mean i, I guess I, I i do a fair bit of moving around now so you know yep. fishing from dam to dam and even in recent weeks of you know fish three different dams in three different weeks so um yeah i guess i do chase different you know if if there wasn't caught in these dams then yeah you'd, i'd probably travel around even more i suppose to chase yellows in different spots or whatever so yeah or chase cod cool right let's jump into jack for everyone who wants to learn a little bit about barren jack because i don't i've done we've touched on it a little bit in the 50 odd podcast episodes we've done yeah um but we haven't had a dedicated yeah, not off the top of my head. I don't think we've had a dedicated one on Jack, but we will talk about a bit of other stuff too um, yep. later on. But give us, we'll, we'll go for twenty minutes, half an hour on Baron Jack. Mm-hmm. Um, run us through your first experiences with Baron Jack, um, how you come across it, how you found it. For someone who's never been there, a little summary of what it is, what it's like, yeah, and then sure. we'll just keep going from there. But my first trip down to Baron Jack was actually to come down and fish the Wee Jasperine. And it was actually more about catching trout out of the wee Jasper arm. When was that when you travelled from Sydney? Yep, yep. So that's really why, yeah, yep. And that's um, through a, a work uh, mate of mine. He was a you know an older fellow who's had been down and fished the dam before. And I don't, I don't, I think that might have been the first time I'd fished. I was only a young apprentice back then, and this bloke's like, oh well, you know, if you want to come down for a fish, we'll go down and. I don't remember getting down there and just looking across the water and there was bugger or water in it. We pulled up to the, we stayed at the, what's the reflections now? I'm not sure what it was called back then, but, um, and they, you know, just said, oh, you know, we want to go and fish the wee jasper arm. And they're like, yeah, the wee jasper arm's actually empty. So you're not going to have any, you know, not going to be able to get up to that end from here. What was it? Like 20, 30%? I don't actually remember, mate, but I just remember. But it would have been low. There was miles and miles of bank, um, you know, as you look out from the, where the park is there from the boat ramp, it was just, I don't know, I don't know how yeah. many metres it was of just shaly red bank there. And I just remember going, geez, you know, there's not much water in this place because I, we, we weren't, we didn't have a boat. We were basically, um, you know, just in a car. So we were going to drive around to the Wee Jasper end and, uh, and check that out sort of thing. But yeah. There wasn't enough water around there to make it worth our while, so we fished off the bank, and I remember catching a couple of yellows and a, and a silver perch off the bank there, actually. And um, Really? Yeah, yep. I've never caught a silver perch there since. That's funny. Were you bait fishing? Yeah, just bait fishing. I think we're just fishing worms off the bank in the dark, and um, yeah, oh, no, that sort of twigged me straight away to think, oh, you know, this freshwater stuff's, you know, not too bad. We should, you know... You know, these big dams are pretty easy. You just lob on down with a bucket of worms and throw a line out and 
catch a few hey. fish and false insecurity. Away you go and yeah, I guarantee you I was pretty upset the first time I went down with the boat and started dragging lures around. I went, geez, this is bloody terrible. Like, what am I doing wrong here? And yeah, it was a few yeah a few trips in those early days that were pretty pretty tough going. But um, yeah, like so I that said, before you keep going, that would yeah. have been twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're looking at like two thousand. Yep. So yep. that's right at the start of the drought. Um, so she would have been low for ages then. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and wait, so there was trout in there back then? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know this fellow, that's all he sort of spoke about was the trout fishing. Um, well, they're still in there now, but yeah, there used to be a big trout fishery from that's what right. I heard. Yeah. Yeah. It used to be, I mean, it used to be a really good mixed fishery, uh, but definitely trout was, was probably almost on top of the list for most people. Um, which seems a bit strange to say that, you know, 20 years later and if you see a, a trout come out of there in the socials or something, it's, you know, it's a big deal. Um, so I wonder, just have a think about it, right? The dam is in the exact same location. Yep. And it's only been it's only been 20 years. Yep. And they're still in there because they still stock them. Yes. Like they still drop them in every year. Yep. So maybe... It could, it's obviously a mixture of things, but the drought would have knocked them over. Yep. Um, that ten year drought, and obviously it's just got to be quite like climate change with warming of water and I don't know redfin maybe. Yeah, not too sure, mate. I mean, you you've probably got a pretty like a much stronger native population in there too. And I don't know True. whether that um, stocking. Yeah, I don't know whether that affects them as well because if you think about um, you know the stocking rates over twenty years. Of, of cod and yellows compared to trout, um, you know, there's a there's a lot of big apex predators in there that that will eat trout now, sort of thing. So, um, yeah, you know, that could also be impacting on it. But yeah, as far as the climate change and all that goes, yeah, I wouldn't have a clue, mate. I don't really, I don't really know too much about it. It's a bit out of it's my control. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So keep us going. So you went back yep. and lures, and it was tough. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so you know, I think the next time I went back, I was in Dad's boat, um, which was a pretty rough old tinny, and yeah, we trolled around and threw lures, you know, spinner baits and things like that at trees and rocks, and um, yeah, I remember that one trip there. We yeah, we didn't catch a thing. It was hot and the water was muddy. I think the water had started, you know, it started to fill back up again by then, and. Um, it it's and again it's it wasn't like oh you know I'm never coming back here again it was just radio we've got to do some more research into this and and find out what's going on and really research back then was you know more time in the water than what it is now because now we've got you know um, a, a network of people that fish the dam that you've got access to um, on your socials yeah. um, you obviously got you know things like the, the social fishing platform and there's a lot more information that's up to date and happening right now, um, yeah. where back then it was, you know, non-existent. You didn't Facebook or anything like that. It was, um, you know, you'd pick up the odd maybe magazine article or something like that, but um, really it was just information on catching yellowbelly or catching cod rather than yeah. catching cod or yellowbelly at Barrenjuk Dam. It was just about the fish themselves. That was as close as we were going to get to that information that we needed and, so yeah, just started yeah 
sort of making more trips down and eventually started to catch a few fish. And um, then when I moved in, like I said, it was about 11 years ago now. And um, by this stage, Dad had a, a better boat. I still didn't have my own boat um, when I first moved down, but I brought Dad's boat down with me because he wasn't using it a whole lot back home. So, um, yeah, brought that down and, and, yeah, just started fishing it uh, more and more regular and, yeah, just started to tick over a few yellows and then, yeah, got into a few cod and, you know, used to do a lot of trolling. Um, you know, we had an electric motor but didn't have anchor lock or anything like that on that sort of thing. So um, it was obviously easier just to troll or, or we, you know, we'd drift, drift cast. So you'd basically drift along a bank and just cast all bank with, with the wind sort of thing. Um, yeah. You know, and to, when you think about it now, you think, you know, those that was tough fishing then, but realistically we... You know, if we could catch fish like that with, you know, using the gear we had then, um, you know, we were actually doing pretty well, really, compared to these days where everything's sort of finesse and you've got GPS spot lock electric motors and, you know, live scope sounders and all that sort of gear now. And you can, you know, you still have tough days out on the water, but, um, yeah, those days were, you know, we, we consider them to be pretty good, really. And, um, yeah, that's right. Comparatively, they, they were, I guess. Um, yeah, so that was, that, that was that. And then it was 20, wasn't until 2017 that I bought my own boat. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, you say how long you had, you've had it for, for a bit years. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, um, that was, that was a big step. Um, you know, bought a brand new boat, a 450 Quintrex with an 80 horsepower on the back and, you know, spot lock electric motor. And it had a, I think I started with like a seven inch HDS sounder in it um and it was it was the big time it was you know i was beside myself mate i dead set was like a little kid with that boat um yeah you know i would get it out every chance i had and work was pretty chaotic back then it was pretty full on and um you know it, i just remember you know some of those afternoons that i'd i'd get out after work you'd get on the water in the dark and you know, you'd be that knackered, but it didn't matter. You were still out there and you were, you were still doing what you love. So, um, you know, it was still good. And then, yeah, it just, well, I guess it just grew from there. Um, yeah. Now, if you're going down and fishing the Go Fishing Again competition, and if you're not, I recommend you do. But if you are heading down, I just want to let you in on some information. What I do and what I did last year is I headed down three, four days before the event and fished the lake for a couple of days. I'm going to be doing the exact same thing this year. And what I do that for is to fish all three areas, the top section, the middle section, the bottom, all the, all of the water, I fish it all, work out what the fish are biting on, where they're biting, what the water temperature is down there, and basically put together a complete go fish report. So a Nagambi report, pre-go fish Nagambi report on how I found it to fish. So we did it last year. I was joined by Karen Rees. She's a regular down there and fishes it quite a lot. She shared what she'd been finding over the last couple of weeks before it and I obviously shared what I'd learned over those few days and we put together a report on what the techniques you should be using, where the fish are biting and the key area to fish and we had some members getting onto some great fish. Now that report is in the SF membership platform. So all the members were able to see that report, get in, get access to that and a lot of them got onto some really, really good fish because they just had that first hand knowledge. So I'm going to be doing that again this year and that report will go up 
inside the Social Fishing membership platform and you become a, you can become a member at socialfishing.com.au. Not only do you get that, but you get all of the content we've talked about previously and to help you at Go Fishing Agami to win to help you win that $80,000 cod, there is also the SF Maps. So inside the SF Maps, we have Nagambi Lakes. It is completely mapped out with all the areas, all the key spots, so you can do your research before you get there. You can also do your research on where to put in, where to stay, where to camp. Because we actually ran into a couple of guys last year while we were fishing it, and they had no idea where to launch. They actually were camping at a, at a location, and they drove... Uh, their car and their boat right around to another side of the lake thinking that was the closest boat ramp without realizing that they were launching a long, long, long way from their camp and that boat ride was going to take a long way. They were actually about to travel in the wrong direction upriver rather than downriver towards their camp, let alone did they not know that there was a boat ramp about 500 meters from their camp where they were camped. So they were in a world of trouble, but luckily we sort of pointed them in the right direction. But I'm sure so many more people fall into that same bucket and sort of have completely lost and that goes to for anywhere when you're fishing in a lot of different places but that all would have been a lot easier if they had checked out the maps we showed the guys the maps and showed them exactly where they should have been and they were overwhelmed that there was a boat ramp right there but that is all included on the Nagambi lakes maps inside the sf maps on our membership platform so it gives you all the boat ramps all the camp spots and all the key areas to fish you'll get that and the report plus the rest of the membership if you become a member today so jump on and check out the social fishing membership to get access to that content to give you the upper hand at go fish Nagambi. like i said you can get it all at socialfishing.com.au now let's get back to the chat with dan it was so tell us about Sorry, keep going. I was just going to say that was about the same time that I actually, um, I don't know what the word for it is. Well, I guess I had a mental breakdown, mate. I had a um, a big collapse. I basically uh, was out in my new boat at Blaring Dam and, um, yeah, basically had a you know just a massive panic attack, um, which continued for several hours and actually I fronted to the Tumut emergency um, you know, at the hospital there because basically thought I was I was keeling over and dying, mate. I was in a really, really bad way. Um and you know, that was it was tough and I mean I went through some pretty rugged stuff and it was all stuff that I could you know, I knew was creeping up in me in those years. Like I said, I'd i bought my boat and that was almost like a bit of a you know, that was just going to be something to get me through to, rightio, you've, you've got something outside of work because, like I said, work was busy. Yeah. I had lots of employees and where there was lots of mistakes being made and it was it was not a great time for those sort of, you know, few years, sort of that 20, what are we, 2014, 15 through to sort of 2017. Um, that was just nose to the grindstone. Like I said, I was... Working hard, but I was fishing hard too. So I was burning the candle at both ends, and and eventually, yep. um, it all caught up on me. Um, I've you know sort of had some sort of mental health issues over the years, and and nothing that sort of come to a head like this. And and when it did, mate, I was yeah, I was in a bad way. I was virtually on my back for. Oh look, I spent virtually two weeks where I could hardly get out of a chair, mate. I was absolutely stuffed. My body was just that run down. My head was that run down. Um, I remember sitting back in the office just looking at my books and just going, geez, I'm in a mess here. How am I ever going to get out of this? And um, Mate, eventually I did. I had a really good bloke working for me at the time and, and he stood up and 
uh, stepped up to the, the plate and basically took on a lot of that work that, it, like, you know, he was, you know, only fairly young in his trade at that stage. And realistically, it's not something that any young bloke like that should have to, to do. But, yeah. you know, he did it. Um, he took it on and I'll be forever grateful um, for him for doing that because it, it probably saved my business. And I mean, things could have been a lot different now if, if he wasn't around. So, um, so yeah, basically, yeah, flat out for, you know, I mean, I was virtually off the air for three months, to be honest. Um, I didn't do any fishing, didn't do much work, and I was just in just a, just a fog, basically. Um, and that sort of, it really set me back. It's, it's something that I'm still probably dealing with now um, on near a daily basis, um, not to any sort of, you know, severe sort of thing, but... You know, it's certainly taken its toll on, on my mind and, and my body sort of falling over like that. Um, and, you know, I, I, yeah, I mean, and if anyone's listening and you've got, you know, any inkling that things are really catching up and you're just take a step back, do yourself a favour because if you trip over, um, it's a hell of a climb to, to get back up. You're better off saving yourself before you get there because I can tell you right now it's, it's, a, uh, yeah, it's a real battle. Um, and that's just from just pushing yourself yeah, like, hard yeah. everywhere. Like what were you doing? You're doing. So what we'll do is we'll come. I'm I'm glad you've shared this because it's something that it, it could be happening to every second person yeah. out there listening. This, you know what I mean? Like yeah. and a lot of people don't talk about it. Yeah, yeah. So we'll touch on this and then we'll we'll go back to yeah, and Jack, but, yeah. It's yeah. Um, you so how what you were doing like 14 hour days? Yeah. Yep. So I do, you know, from like sun working ten hours or something. Yep. Sun up till sundown on the tools, and then you know all the office stuff and everything else that goes on with um, with running your own business that was done basically in the dark. Um, you know, back. And you home. were fishing, were you? Oh, look. During this period, like you were still, like you weren't. You're saying you'd work that hard, and then you'd have one little break, and you'd actually go fishing instead. Yeah. Of yeah. No, I wouldn't stop. No, because I just I just wanted to fish. I was just absolutely dying to get out there. And so instead of, you know, taking that bit of time and just chilling out at home, I would then, you know, pack a boat and I'd, I'd head to, to the Jack or up the Blaring or, you know, even up to Wyangla. Um, yeah, doing some crazy hours on the tools and then I'd do some pretty crazy hours out in the water as well. So um, it really was just, yeah, just pushing way too hard. And, I mean... It was, yeah, definitely a major factor was the work thing. Like I said, we had, you know, some mistakes made in the in the business and, um, yeah, things were just sort of spiralling a bit out of control. And I guess when I fell over, it was a massive reset. Um, I basically re, reassessed where I was going with the business, um, who I was working for, um, you know, even the fishing, like, you know, what are, we, what are we actually trying to get out of it? Why, you know, is that actually being detrimental to my overall health, um, to my yeah. relationships with my family and, you know, obviously kids and all that sort of stuff um, and my wife as well. Like, you know, it was basically what what do I do now? Where do I go from here? Because, um, you know, whatever I was doing, it just it wasn't working. So, um, yeah, so I just made a re-jigged re how I was working Um I went back to when I eventually got on my feet again and, and started to get back into it. Um, I was basically in the mindset then that, well, I'm going to work me eight to 10 hours a day and then I'm not going to go home and do two, four, six hours in the office. That's just not going to happen anymore. 
If, yeah. if I have to, I will do those two, four, six hours during business hours. I won't go yeah. and do work on the tools and then do that. I'm going to completely reset all that. And then obviously that brings back your family time. Because you- I was going to say, it, it wasn't the fact you were working and then you wouldn't take a single day off. It's actually how you work every week, isn't it? It's not, yeah. it's not about... You work hard for five days and you can have like a whole day off or half a day. It's more the fact you you can't overwork yourself every single day. That's right. Every single week. It's yeah. actually, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, work was, you know, seven days a week. Seven days a week, uh, a fair bit of the time back then. Um, you know, we we're building a home, new home as well. So there was all stresses from that. And um, yeah, it just... So what actually happened? You don't know, do you? They didn't know. They couldn't say that this is happening to you because your whole body was yep. like in yeah. stress, and yep. they told you there was nothing wrong with you. Yeah, so you know, you know, you front up, um, and I could hardly walk from the car. To be honest, I just felt that I don't know wrong inside. I just um, you know stumbled in, but I think they actually met me halfway with a wheelchair and wheeled me in through the front door. Um, and you're with a good mate of yours, and you guys just left the boat on the water. Yeah, brand new boat, virtually. I don't even know how old the boat was then, but it was brand spanking new, as far as I'm concerned. It was less than three months old, I think. And you just left it there, and we left it tied up to the bank, mate. Yep, that's how crook I was. I felt that bad that I had to get somewhere to get help because, yeah, I was just not in a good way. And then, yeah, we left it tied up on the bank and and took off in the tournament. I mean, I look back now and just go, I mean, I just, I just cringe at the thought of leaving me boat there now, let alone when it was brand new. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's... But something was seriously wrong. That's that's as bad as it was, yeah. Um, it was just a you know, massive feeling of dread. Um, you know, like everything had just collapsed on itself all in one go and it's just that overwhelming feeling of sorrow was, yeah, just, just came over me whole body type of thing. It was, um, yeah, so, I mean, like I said, it's just something that, I hope no one ever gets to experience, to be honest, because it's it's pretty yeah, pretty bleak sort of feeling. So, so just we'll go forward a bit. So you know yep. how you were out fishing and you tried to fish as much as you could. Then, yep. how does that change now? Like you obviously change your business because a lot of people use fishing as a getaway. Yep. But when you go out fishing, you still it's definitely not. Well, it can be relaxing. If you go sit under a tree and soak a bait, then yep. that's going to be relaxing on your body. But a lot of the styles of fishing we do to get away, you know, go for a hike for a day, yep. get out in the boat and do a, a night session and get away from, a lot of people use it as an escape, get away from reality. Yep. For your for your, boz, for your sorry, for your body's health, yep. it's still using energy. So Absolutely. if you want to still fish a heap now, how does that, so how does it work now? How have you built it so that, or is it a mental thing as well? And when you're fishing, you're not um, concentrating on work and that's helped with it too. Like, what's the balance now? How have you... Yeah. What was your plan moving forward after that happened? Obviously, you weren't like, I'm going to keep working hard. What was your life plan now and how do you yeah, no, how do you live life now? Because you're in a much better place now. Absolutely. You yeah, know, it's a really good question and it is... Um, it, yeah, it's something that's probably a little bit hard to describe. But basically, um, you know, I was never never going to give up fishing and yeah fishing was was a release I was away from work but when I look back a lot of the time while I was fishing during those sort of that build up to that time was thinking about work while I'm fishing and really that completely defeats the purpose of getting out there and doing it because all you're doing is you know yeah you've got a rod in your hand you cast some lures or whatever it might be 
if you're actually not in that moment at that time, it's a complete and utter waste of time. You're actually going backwards as far as trying to relax your body and things like that because you're not present with where you are. You're actually thinking about the job you're doing tomorrow or something that happened last week. And that's actually a backward step as far as trying to, you know, relax and recharge yourself. It's worse than actually being at work. Absolutely. If you think yep. about it, if you mentally are there but you're not yeah. and you yep. it's really bad. Yep, hundred percent. Not even not even in that instance, also in any instance, if you're yep. doing something and you're like, oh, I should be fishing, if you're fishing and be like, I should be home with yep. family, yep. what's the point? Yeah, like, no, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, if you're thinking about being somewhere else, then you best go and be there as far as I'm concerned nowadays. Like, yep. I, don't, I don't ever, I don't let that work get involved in my fishing anymore. Um, and obviously, I'm sort of pushing the fishing a little bit more in my life as well. It's now become works not so much you know because you know we, we build a home we've got sort of things set up and we don't have to push as hard financially and so i can spend more time with the family and be with the family when i'm there mentally as well as physically and then fishing wise it's not just it's sort of going beyond just being a hobby that i do every now and then like i fish me guts out nowadays and i'll I will run my business as much as I can around my fishing trips and my fishing pursuits, um, yep. which is a you know a really good position to be in now. But it took a hell of a lot of sacrifice to get here. Um, yeah. But now that I'm here and I've been through that sort of really tough few years, sort of rebuilding after that big collapse, um, I'll never go back. Like I just. I wouldn't go back to the way things were because it was it's just not sustainable. It's just not good for your body, not good for your mental health. Um, and so now fishing is what I do. Fishing is what I do mm. and I plumb on the side as far as I'm concerned because um, and that might sound like I'm a bit of a slacker as far as running a business goes, but I've just worked out techniques that I can run my business. I employ good guys. I pay them well to do their job well. And I just make sure that I'm on the money with running things as efficiently as I can while I'm in the business. And then when I'm yep. not in the business, I'm not in the business. That's it. I'm, I'm fishing or, um, you know, going and playing with bees. I got into beekeeping recently. Um, and so wherever I am at that time, that's where my head is as well. I'm never on the boat thinking about work. And I'm not going to say I'm never at work thinking about fishing because that's completely yeah that happens (laughs) um that would be telling an absolute fib that would be but um you know yeah just just being present and that's that's yeah being present is probably the biggest thing of the lot but um yeah definitely rejigged um the way i do think obviously my kids are a bit older now so i can take them doing bigger trips as well so i'm getting to spend time with the kids and you know i've got a damn good wife too mate who really supports or my pursuits, whether it be through work or fishing or whatever it might be, um, she backs me 100%. And she doesn't necessarily come on a lot of trips. She comes out with us every now and then, but um, she yeah, she backs everything that I do um, you know, and believes in what I'm doing and, and that I'm doing it for the right reasons. So um, that obviously helps a lot yeah. as well. So, you know, it's just a big combination of, of you know, just re, re-changing how, I'm, how I approach things and how I think about things and, making sure that things are done efficiently and, you know, like I say, really knuckling down on 
that efficiency side of business has really helped me to, to be able to get That's out of I was going to say, you downsized, didn't you? I did, actually, mate. You stepped back, you downsized, and you actually told me the other day that you're actually in a better position doing yeah. less because you're doing quality, yep. working with quality people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, living um, a quality life, I guess. That's right. And and I sort of, you know, when I did um, fall over, I then also, you know, on the rebuild from that was right here. I want to keep business going. I've worked for myself for a fair bit of time. I'm never going to handle going on a wage for somebody. I'm just not wired that way. And so I've done business improvement courses. I got a workflow management system um, integrated into the company. And all those little things where, you know, yeah, obviously there's costs involved, but I learned so much from those business improvement courses. And the biggest thing was work with your A-team. If you want to be an A-team business, if you want to be at the top level, you've got to have A-grade clients. And so I cut away... A lot of those stressful clients that we had, um, I pursued some government contracts, which you know they've got their own stresses, but um, they're also a uh, they're a more predictable sort of a contract. Yep. You know where you stand. You know you're going to get paid. You know when you're going to get paid, um, and so you know just consolidated all that stuff. And basically, you know I've got less guys working for me now. I've just got quality guys. Um, and, you know, so the turnover is reduced, but the, you know, the actual income, the profit side of it hasn't, you know, has actually got better uh, compared to your yep. turnover. So your percentages are better. So you, you basically just, yeah, work more efficiently. And obviously that, you know, allows me to get out on the water um, a lot more often and, um, you know, and, and family time as well. I don't have to be out there busting my gut on the tools. If the kids are home from school early or if they're crook or something like that, I can, you know, help out and stay home and, you know, muck around with yep. them and, and things like that. So it's it's been a massive, massive rejig of the way I do my whole life, mate. That's for sure. Um, thanks for sharing that. I think a lot of people would be in a similar position and might be stuck or could be in that massive, like yep. right in the middle of that massive low even and they're... It can turn around, like you can turn around and Absolutely. end up in a better place. Yep. And the other thing is, if you are feeling a little bit on that push side, yep. just have a think about what what you're doing actually means. Like, does it mean anything? Like, uh, yep. is that extra effort you're going to going to actually mean anything in two years, or is it a waste? Is that extra ten grand a year that you're earning because yep. you think you've got to work so hard. Yeah. What does that actually mean? Like is that is that extra money more important or is time spent with family or time on the water yep. more important? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. The other way to look at it too is when you're out fishing, like a lot of the fishing styles really push us. Like when you're out chasing those big cod in the dark, if you were to do an Arvo and a morning session and that's kind of what you need to if you're gonna catch big fish you need to put in the hours. But yes. you've also got to be careful about your health. Um, because sleep's really important and if you're going to push yourself really hard and you're going to feel not that good about it, is yep. that fish really worth it? Are you better off just doing the morning session or just you know just that afternoon session, especially if you're going yeah, a lot over a couple of weeks? Like You've just got to be careful about what you do and what the result is. If, if you know, It's all about... Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point that you just said. If Is it actually worth it for that bite to push yourself that hard? Um, and it is something that I'm conscious of all the time. I know, you know, I'll mention it when we're on trips. It's like, if I get push myself too hard, I will stumble again. 
Yeah. Um, and no fish is worth that because for one extra session or one extra fish, I will miss out on, you know, several weeks of fishing properly because it'll take me that long to recover from another stumble. So, yep. you know, it's people do need to be a little bit conscious and I don't, I don't know if this is sounding a bit sort of bleak to the podcast listeners out there and we've probably gone um, pretty deep into it, but it is pretty important, I think, um, to be conscious of your, your own health, your own well-being and, you know, keep yourself in check, keep an eye on yourself. Um, don't rely on someone else to come and tap you on the shoulder and tell you, hey, mate, you're not going too well because a lot of the time, mate, no one will notice. people aren't going to notice and... No one, no one really knew. My wife knew what was going on, and you know she probably still, um, you know, sort of not curses me, but still sort of in her head. So I, you know, she warned me. She knew what was happening, um, but I, yeah, I thought I was a bit invincible. I suppose, you know, I'll be right. I'll get through it. You know, it'll be better next week. Um, and yeah, next week never came. So, you know, just yeah, anyone who who is yeah, feeling a bit under the, the pressure and thinks there could be a, you know, something that's getting in under their skin and, and they're feeling down and that sort of thing, just, yeah, just check yourself. Just sit back and just have a bit of a, have a bit of a map out of where you are and where you're heading and, and what you, you know, what you could do a little bit better in different ways to, to make sure that you, yeah, you don't, you don't do that big stumble because it's a hell of a lot easier to stop it before it happens and what it is to recover after it, so... Awesome. Thanks for that, mate. We might leave that part there because I think we've covered it pretty well, but I appreciate um, yeah. you sort of sharing all that yep. for people to hear. It'd be good. We could even, yeah, we could have even done a whole episode just on that, to be honest. Um, yep. Maybe a future one. I'll tell you right now, I'm getting the sweats up just thinking about it, mate. So it's. Yeah, I was going to say, how are you going? That's how raw it is, yeah. mate, to be honest. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we'll yeah, move on to some fishing, I reckon. So tell us about okay. So you told us how you fish barren jack. So let's for someone who's never fished it, yep. and for people who do fish it, yep. tell us what's it like. What's the fishery like? How okay. do you fish it? What yeah, go yeah. for from a whole yeah a nutshell of fishing barren yep. jack. Yeah, well barren jack is a big dam. Like it's got some massive river arms in it. There's so much different structurally. It's every different technique um, available. If you know whatever you want to chase, however you want to chase them. Um, there's a good population of yellows, um, which are, you know, usually pretty easy to sort of track down. I, I shouldn't say usually. pretty easy, but, um, you know, you, you, you can get onto them at the right time of year. Like, it's been an absolutely shocking um, few months. Two years? Yeah. I, I think last year was pretty slow. This year's even worse. Um, I shouldn't say this year because it's only just bloody January, but... Um, yeah, yeah. You know the season. last, yeah, the last couple of seasons have been pretty crook, um, and the spring. So would just... you say barren jacks? Sorry to cut you off. Would you say barren jacks definitely a place that is susceptible to environmental, not environmental like big issues, but yep. water level, water temperature, seasons. Yeah. But when it's on, it's an incredible place. And oh when yeah. They're not happy because of water levels or temps. They're not happy. Yeah, hundred percent. And I mean that rings true yeah. for a lot of impoundments, but barren jack does have a massive catchment and so it is really uh, susceptible to, ch to changes in water level um, we've had some huge inflows over the last few months I mean the yellow belly fishing was actually better in the winter just gone than what it was through spring um, 
which is really backwards. But basically through winter, it was slightly more stable. Um, once we hit spring, we had storm and rain events and there was, you know, tens of thousands of megalitres of water running through the place. They were, the dam would get near full, so then they're going to chase airspace, so the water would drop. And then, you know, the next week it would rain, it's going to fill all the way back to over 100% again. And that really had the fish unhappy. And and that's basically a, a big part of the Burrenjuk overall fishery is if the conditions are good, the fishing can be excellent. Um, you really know, good, yeah. Yeah. But if you've got those unstable weather conditions, unstable water levels, um, you know, water being cool and what it should be for this time of year has had a massive uh, impact. Um, like even, you know, when we done our, our cod opening session, even though we sort of had to readjust what we were doing because um, our, you know, our plans didn't sort of work out. You know, water temps just touching into 20 degrees on the 1st of December. Um, there's water flowing backwards up river arms. And so that makes it tough. But overall, if you were to approach Burrenjuk on a, you know, on a nice, normal, we'll call it a normal season, um, yeah, the, the fishing can be quite good. The yellow belly are pretty active. Um, it is what we call a tree dam, so fishing vertical timber is probably the absolute pick for chasing golden perch and cod as well. Um, yep. There are periods through spring where they'll get up on the rocky edges, um, and sometimes that's like even late August in a normal sort of, like if you get a, a normal sort of build up in the spring, um, they can get up on the rock rocky edges really shallow and you go and shake grubs and soft vibes and things like that for them. And, you know, it's it's a really fun way to fish the place and the fish are just packed up along those rock walls and they're just keen to eat everything. So it can be really, really good um, in that regard. But in general, the most consistent way to, you know, get in touch with a, a golden perch is to fish the vertical timber, like the standing timber. Um, and that's why it fishes better when it's low, and that's why it's that's that's probably one of the biggest reasons it's difficult at the minute because the lake's been above eighty percent. Yeah, and so and the fish is very little trees. Yeah, there's few trees. And when I first thought about, it, I thought, oh, well, you know what, that probably won't hurt. I know where's there's some trees that'll be sitting just below the water. No one else is going to know they're there. I'll just go and fish those trees, and it'll be fine. But it sort of hasn't worked out that way because when you think about it, okay, it's a tree dam, it's going to concentrate all those fish onto the trees that either are sticking out of the water and go down to a depth of 10 metres or the ones yeah. that are only a few metres below and go down to 15 metres. The fish have just got to concentrate there. We'll just go and catch them on those trees. But it just hasn't played out that way. Um, a lot of fish like migrated way, way up the river arms to spawn because there was so much water movement. Um which it'd be interesting to see if in a few years' time we do see that, you know, increase in in yellow belly numbers on the back end From of that. In the last two years, yeah. Yeah, um, I hope it does. I really do cross my fingers because I've had some like, slow couple of years, but if those fish were able to spawn and you've got that on top of, you know, the uh, the DPI stockings, um, you know, it, it, it'll be jammed with fish. And, yeah, you know, we'll move back into our standard you know, average or below average rainfall, the water level will come down and the place will really fire up again. Um, and I can't see us having another wet year next year or this year. Um, I can only sort of see it sort of settling down and, and getting back into a bit of routine, which means the water level will drop and the fishing will stabilise, the water temp's going to stabilise and things like that. So 
Um, that sort of yellow belly side of things, um, cod fishing is, yeah, it can be phenomenal in that place. But again, there can be hit and miss. Um, yeah. They can really shut down and be near impossible. They just don't want to eat. They're just not in the mood. They're just not feeding. Simple as that. doesn't matter how right your lure is or how right your technique is. They're just not going to feed. The other side of that is you can fish miles and miles of bank and not even come across a fish because they sort of concentrate in pockets. And so one of the probably the biggest bit of advice I give to people that you know message me or whatever that is if you find a fish in any particular area, keep fish in that area because they are yep. it's very, very rare that you'll find one cod, even a big cod, even those big apex meter, meter twenty fish will be in congregations of other fish of similar size or smaller size, all in that sort of one area. So it's really, How really... How big's an area? I know that's a very vague yeah. uh, question, but like yeah. it could be what, uh, like 500 metre area? Yeah, it could, it could be as simple as just one point. It could be just one point. It could be just one stand of timbers on a flat. Um, yeah. So, you know, it could be a 100-metre stretch of bank. It could be 500-metre stretch of bank. Yeah. Uh, yep. But that's, you but know... you're pretty not, obvious when you're out there when you... Yeah. 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 And you're not talking like if we look at somewhere... And what's a really popular... Say Scrubby, right? Everyone knows where Scrubby Flats is. Um, you know, it might be, you know, just one little pocket of trees within that entire treed flat that will be... In, and you'll find six or eight cod all in that one area. Um, yeah, and it's you know if you compare that one patch of 100 or 200 meter trees to the entirety of even Scrubby itself, the chances of you finding another concentration of fish like that in that area is very very minimal. So if you find a fish, if you miss a fish, if you sand a fish on your sander, stick with them. There's going to be more yep. than one there. They're there for a reason. Whether it's bait, whether it's water temp, whether it's water movement. Or whether it's just because that's where they are at the time for no given scientific reason, that's where they yeah. are. You know, fish are where you find them. Um, whatever it might be, stick with them, and you're going to definitely catch more fish that way than what you are going rightio. Well, there's one there. I missed him. Right, I will move on to somewhere else and find another one. Chances are that yeah. other fish is where you just missed that last one. So the tree beside it, or the other limb on the other side of the tree. Exactly. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's you know that's probably the biggest bit of advice I get if give if you were you know fishing that place and you were struggling to to you know sort of find fish consistently. Um, and the other thing is too, it it's, it does change, and you do have to just accept sometimes that you just miss out. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that the dam was shut down. It just means you missed out that day. You just didn't fish the right spot or something like that. And it happens to me. It happens to everybody. Um, you know, you'll go up and fish an area that fished okay last week and, you know, the fish have moved on for whatever reason, your water level's changed or you, whatever it might be, they might have chased a, you know, school of redfin and they've moved along further into deeper water and you just don't catch on to what's what's changing and, they, yeah. you know, then you've got to try and track them all, track them down again. So, but yeah, it's, I mean, summertime cod fishing is awesome up there when they're actually it's got a lot of rocky banks hey and a lot of small numbers of fish like right through that range so yeah you said it was a tree dam for both but when it yep. comes to cod you'll also get them on the rocky stuff especially yeah. in yeah. summer yeah absolutely and 
I mean, at the moment, there's a lot of guys trolling Rocky Banks, and they're you know they're catching half a dozen cod for an afternoon. A lot of them are smaller fish, so between sort of 45 and 65. Um, yep. But you know that's that's summertime cod fishing for me. Like I don't spend a whole lot of time um, in in the summer months sort of trying to chase those meteries. Um, I really enjoy just getting out there and you know flicking lures or trolling lures and. Um, you know, just getting into those those fun summer fish where you'll get six bites for an afternoon session rather than just one for the night. Um, you know, it's just a different way. It's a fun way of fishing, I suppose. Um, so if you could pick a percentage yep. of like a, a, what would you your favourite percent around up and above, like between what and what to fish the lake? Yeah, I'm going to say between 30 and 50%. Yeah. Uh, when it gets down into those 30s, you've got... You know, you don't have to go any further than the main basin. You've got everything you need in the main basin. Um, the the trees that snake through the old riverbed right through the main basin, the tops of those all become exposed, um, and they hold fish, and they hold fish in big numbers. Um, usually that coincides with a pretty clear waterway as well. I know back in yeah. 2018 when it was in the 30s, the water was clear. You could see yellow sitting in the crowns of trees in the middle of the day. It was just fantastic. Like, I didn't want to fish anywhere else. It was, why would I? Look how good this is. The water's clear. The fish are biting. Uh, yeah. There's so much standing timber to fish. And, you know, you just sound through and you just find a patch and drop on it. You know, it'd be nothing to catch a six or eight or ten yellow bellies off, you know, two or three trees all next to each other just for one afternoon. So, um, I think. I think the issue is when it's above about 70, below 70, it starts to get good. I think above 70, because Barranjac's quite, it's got quite a rocky basin, but then as the arms branch out, it's quite flat. So Barranjac yeah. doesn't hold a stack of water, but it has a massive surface area, yeah. like a huge surface area at 100%. So I think, and it's the good old saying of less water, more fish. Like I think Barranjac's a really good example of it. Once you get over 70, you get so much surface area. The water yep. spreads so far. And a lot of bank. A lot of meters of bank or kilometers so of bank. So much bank. So much. And it's too much. And the fish are just too spread out. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's no, there's no, all the key structure is all under. So all that key structure usually fish on your trees and even your rocky banks, they're gone. But once it drops below 70, you lose a lot of the tops of both the river arms. Yes. Um, and it brings fish back into the bottom half of the river arms and then they'll sit on. Fairly obvious pieces of structure. Yeah, um, it's hard to explain, but yeah, yeah, it is. And you look at it now when it's full and go, oh, geez, it's a nice looking dam. Look at that, the water's lapping at the the base of the river gums and things like that. But realistically, yep. when you when you look past the scenic side of it and go, right, yeah, what what am I going to fish? It's like it kind of all looks yeah. the same. Like it just sort of yeah. looks a bit washed out and a bit like, oh, yeah, okay, well that's not what I'm looking for. And then you start look, yep. you know, you keep looking for that. And it's like, you know what? It, doesn't really exist at this water level. That that you know, that, right. that patch of rock with that you know, yeah. It's, so they all spread. They all spread. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so. it's it's a tricky time at Barrenjuk right now. Um, but the water level is dropping, and it will continue to drop right through this summer. I think uh, it'll drop quick. Yeah, they usually drop Barrenjuk, and it'll get to seventy, and then they'll slow it up. And it'll slowly drop back down to thirty if they get no rain for a couple yeah. of years. But yeah. they'll drop it to seventy pretty quick. That's right. Yeah, it wouldn't be unrealistic to see it getting yeah down close to those numbers by the by the end of summer. That's for sure. If we 
the rain stops. Yes, yes. Yeah. Otherwise, so. it might sit around seventy over winter, which it did last winter. So, for example, you're saying it was a tough. It's a tough place at the minute. It was tough through spring for the yellows. The yellows are really hard. But if you go back to the winter we just had, it was an incredible winter there, and it sat pretty stable around seventy percent. Yeah, it did. And that was that's like that benchmark. If it hit, if it sat at eighty, it would have been a bit tougher. But from seventy and below, it's yes. a pretty good fishery, especially if it sits stable like it did over winter. Yeah, and stability is a, is a key word in that sentence too. That it, it really does affect the place, um, and and stability in more in the increase in water level than the decrease. So it is an irrigation dam, and so right through summer, it's quite normal for you know eight, nine, ten thousand megs of water to be running through thousand megs of water to be running through the gates downstream um, for, yeah. the, for the irrigators and so that's normal that's a normal drop but for 40 50 60 70 thousand megalitres to be running in is not normal and that just shuts the fish down big time and so it's and that's what's been the issue um, over the last couple of years really is just those massive inflows big increases of water water flowing in weird directions and you know that sort of thing. So I'm really crossing my fingers that, you know, we've sort of seen, we'll still get summer storms and things like that, but just those big week or two week rain events, I hope we don't see any more of those um, just now well, because... Except for tomorrow. Yeah, that's okay. Like a day or two days is okay when it's, you know, unless you're talking two inches over a couple of days and that's going to be different. But um, yeah, yeah. hopefully, fingers crossed, it, it comes good and we should. I mean, it's it's fishing okay comparatively. It's still a good fishery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To what it's been over the last few months. Um, yeah. So you know, because obviously the water temps up there. Um, finally, um, like I said, we had what twenty degrees, twenty one degrees on cod opening, which is not normal. Um, and obviously down below that was really really cool. Um, you know, we're now looking at temps close to thirty degrees in some of the bays, um, which is getting to a normal summer sort of temp. Um, yeah. Blue-green algae is really bad at the moment. Um, from what I've been hearing, I actually haven't been up for a couple of weeks, but, um, you know, it doesn't look great to look at. It's no good for swimming in, but I sort of found that it hasn't affected the fishing all that much um, in the last couple of years. It still fishes okay, even though the algae looks terrible. Um, and it's just a, a high-water thing, the algae, for people who don't are like... Wouldn't it be worse in drought? It's it's just a nutrient. Explain. You told me the other day. Yeah, that's right. So why is it bad? It is. It's all basically to do just with nutrients running in, and nitrogen is probably the biggest one running in off the farming country um, that surrounds Barrenjuk. Um, so you know, there's a lot of fertilisers that are used on the paddocks, and also just organic material um, from cropping. Um, you know, even cattle and sheep and things like that. There's a lot of organic material on the ground, and so when you get those really big rain events, it just all washes in, and it starts off when you when it first comes in, it's just, you see all those little brown particles and things, and obviously muddy water um, sit, sitting in the water, and basically that's just a lot of, of um, you know a lot of nutrients coming in, and as the water temp increases, the blue green algae starts to bloom, and yeah. it just feeds and feeds and feeds and feeds off all that um, nutrients that's in the water. Um, and it's, you know, generally it only, you know, if it's not too severe, it'll only sit in the first metre, but as it gets worse, it will actually grow deeper into the water column as the water temp increases. Um, yeah. But it's not, 
you know, it's not all lost. Um, the biggest problem that could occur is if all that algae dies off in one go, it can release a toxin in some varieties of blue-green algae. Um, and, of course, you're going to have oxygen loss because that algae then starts to break down. And so so if, that would happen if it gets too cold in one quick snap? Yeah, so if we get towards the end of summer, um, so we get into March, April somewhere, and we get you know a week of frost and it really chills things off and the algae dies all in one go, potentially we could have... Um, you know, circumstances that may lead to even some fish kills. Um, yeah, highly unlikely though. But it is unlikely because it's a, it's a hell of a lot of water in that place. So yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the, the fish are free to move about. You know, to to better water. Um, I'm sure they realise should you know this this is not real comfortable here. We'll, we'll move out a bit deeper or you know up to a different yeah. area or something like that. So. It's not something that I've ever seen happen, and I really cross my fingers that it doesn't happen because every time the algae blooms, you know, there's all this big ruckus about, you know, the algae's terrible, all the fish are going to die. But um, in reality, the algae itself doesn't affect the fish so much as when the algae dies. You know, like I said, there is that potential to uh, reduce the oxygen level in the water and also for the algae to release a toxin, but it has to be fairly severe like extremely severe yeah. to, to actually cause any damage. So, um, yeah, we'll cross our fingers, but I wouldn't, yeah, I'm not too concerned at this stage that it's going to be a major problem. Yeah. So from a fishing point of view, it's, it's a very active sort of fishery. The fish will hit a range of lures. It's got a lot of rock. It's yeah. got a lot of lay down. It's got a lot of standing trees. So yep. your spinnerbaits work well. Yep. Chatterbaits work well if you can keep them from being snared. When you're trolling, it's the standard. You spinnerbaits, your hard bodies, and then obviously the whole swimbait plastic scene. Yeah. Just casting and yep. then pre-live tech and then now with live tech, it works well. You can pretty much catch a fish on any lure there. Really, surface is pretty good. Yes, um, yeah. Still, you still got to work for them though. Yeah, yeah. Look, you, you do. It's not easy, but. But I've always said like, and I've had people ask, how do you fish up every single week? You know, and my answer is well, every single week the dam's different. Every single week, whether it's I choose to fish it differently or whether the water's obviously the water temp's changed or the water level's changed or I'm chasing a different species. There's so many different variables, but there's also that gives you so many different opportunities to fish in so many different ways. You can yeah, yeah go and chuck chatters at rock walls this time of year and catch cod. You can troll them on big spinner baits. You can troll them on hard bodies. You can wait till it gets dark and you go and throw swim baits at them still in summertime. Um, and then obviously you roll into the wintertime cod fishery and there is a really good numbers of metre plus fish in that dam that will hit big plastics, big swim baits, surface lures right through wintertime. Um, like I said, the winter just gone. I've had, you know... A pretty good winner and I've known lots of blokes that have been up there and caught heaps of fish. I know you went up there a couple of trips and caught meteries on each trip. Um, you had a good run. You know, it, 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 and a lot of those fish that I caught were on, I'd say, two main patches that I was fishing right through that, that whole season. Um, Concentrations. That's right, yeah. So there's, you know, there was one sort of stand of trees that they were getting on and then there was another point... Um, there's a bit of a choke point in the dam in one of the in uh, the back of McPherson's Inlet there that we're getting into a few fish there. Um, so you know that was a that was a really good winner, and you know then you you know obviously roll into 
close season and then you're just hanging out to get back out there and get stuck into them again. And usually they f- it fishes pretty well for cod right from the from the get-go. Uh, this year was definitely not one of those years. Um, yeah. And again, it's just all those factors that we were talk- talking about earlier. But um, it is a, yeah, it is a really good fishery when it fishes well and it just has so many different opportunities for, for different ways of fishing it. So, Well, from a live tech point of view as well, it's very similar to Angler, um, but it's a lake where you'll find big, like we noticed over the winter, you find big cod yeah. up and cruising and they're quite active and keen to feed, especially if they're in and around trees yeah. Um, yeah. and they sit quite high. So it's a good swim bait fishery, good plastics in the winter and really good for live tech. Um, whereas you compare it to somewhere like Blaring, it's totally different when you're using live tech. So yeah, it's, it's those fish were quite active, eh? Yeah, and that's exactly it. Like it's, um, yeah, a lot of big fish cruising and also big fish that are sitting in standing timber, using them as an ambush point. Um, and they're probably some of the easier fish to catch sometimes because they're sitting still, so it's so much easier to position your boat and um, get a lure right across the top of them. And you watch those big things fold out of the tree and, yeah, your heart's in your throat. So it's a yeah, pretty fun way to do it. But they are very active um, cod through wintertime in Barranjuk. And even if you're not running the live tech, um, yeah, they're still very accessible if you find the right areas. Um, they are very keen to hit swim baits and plastics and, and top water as well. So Yeah, I've caught place. them most years up there, um, summer yeah. and winter, even before we started using it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, can you tell us, now we've talked about it being a little bit tough at the minute, um, but yep. you've also talked about how incredible it can be. So, what's been, can you run us through, like, quite short, your best sort of session on the yellows, um, what kind of sessions you've produced on the cod? For example, yep. I think it was 2014, the cod opening of 2014, it was about 70% and it was really stable and really clear. Yep. And I remember fishing it and I remember mates fished it and every single mate of mine that went up, they either dropped or hooked into like big fish. Yeah. And we went up on the 8th of December and we got five, six cod, two were a metre. So I trolled up a metre 18 overnight and then the next morning cast it up a metre 24. Um, we got 70s and 80s on the trolley yeah. during the night as well, dropped big fish. And, and ideally, we were stoked and we come home, yeah. but ideally, we should have kept fishing it <laughs> for a whole week and we would have caught <laughs> metre fish every night for that entire week. Yeah. yeah. Like, and that was back then and we trolled and just cast the rocky stuff like we weren't even on the trees and I imagine there would have been heaps of fish on the trees too. So, yeah. like that's sort of one of probably one of my best sessions up there. Although, I did this winter just go and we did get two metres and about an hour apart yeah. casting in the winter. Yeah. So what like what have some of your cod summer sessions yeah. some okay. one of the best ones been like and then also in the yellows, like what can it get to? Yeah, so one of the sessions that probably rings out um, as a bit of a standout was back in twenty eighteen, um, chucking spinner baits to the tops of trees in the main basin. Um, and yeah, catching cod that way. We had, yeah, several fish um, that we didn't p- manage to pull out of the trees. Um, they the, bust you off. Or yeah, they just get you in the tree yeah, and then get you in the, the tree and either. Yeah, I don't think too many would actually busted us off. It was more like they just put the pressure in the right spot and actually pull the hook out. Um, yeah. But that was just yeah, big, big double barrel spinner boats and and mumblers and things like that through the standing trees. Um, and again, you'd fish 50-odd trees and then you come across one tree and you get two hits on the one tree 
Um, and that's just because those, you know, those cod do actually sit together on the same tree uh, for, for whatever reason. Um, and so, I'd, I mean, I don't remember what actual numbers were, but I know it was at that time you could go up and go, well, you know, I'm just going to go and, you know, pick me way through those trees and I'm going to catch a fish. And that, that, you know, it was not an if, it was, if it was when sort of thing. So, you, yep. you know, you'd go up and maybe some afternoons you might, you know, you know, you might only get one or two hits and then the next trip around, I know I was up there once with Dill and we got six hits and I think we boated three of those fish um, just for an afternoon session, got up there at five o'clock um, in the evening, fished up until dark and, yeah, we had a, yeah, a really good time. And I remember even Dylan saying to me at that time, you know, why, why haven't we been doing this all the time? Because we'd been fishing some of the flats and things like that, um, and we'd been doing a bit of trolling and, you know, we weren't really getting a lot of numbers. And then we turned around and, and done this sort of one good session with him. And he's like, well, why aren't we doing this all the time, Dad? Why, why would we doing all that other stuff? So, um, you know, that's, you know, typical kids pointing out your flaws. Um, yeah. You know, because it's all just that easy for them. They, they they don't see all the hours that go in the, in the background. But, yeah, so that was pretty good. Um, like I said, that was... Water levels somewhere 35, 40%, something like that. Um, yeah. yeah. When all those big trees are sticking out, the water was really clear. You could see four metres down um, without any trouble at all. So that was a, a really, yeah, it was really on point um, back through those. I, and I guess they were the drought period, so it's not good for everyone, but it's definitely good for the fishing in the dam. So, um, what about the yellows? Yeah, yellows was probably, I mean, we had one afternoon there. We boated over twenty yellows off um, two standing trees for an afternoon. Um, That's how good it can be when it's good. Yeah, absolutely. They were just absolutely swarming over these trees. There was just that many fish down there, and we would just we would fish plastics and ZXs and TNs, and um, you know, and it was one of those times where I would actually have a rod rig with a TN60 on it, and if they started to slow down a little bit on the grubs, I would drop that TN60 down shake it, rattle it, rip it through them, and it would just get a bit of excitement in the water and your mate fishing next to you, fishing with a grub, would, would hook up straight away. So, And that would just spur them on. You'd catch a few more and, um, you know, and some of those fish, you know, you're talking fish from sort of 45 up to 55 centimetres and they know how to pull string once they get to that sort of 50-plus range in Burrinjuk. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's how good it, it can be. Um, I had a session in August... Uh, that was going back a couple of years ago now as well. Where it was, it was warm enough to wear shorts um, in August, and so obviously unseasonably warm. And I was fishing trees and having a bit of a muck around. I think it was yeah probably right at the end of cod season. I'd fish cod that night and then thought oh well I'll stick around and fish some yellows and um, just started throwing soft vibes um, and shaking them off the rocky edges. wasn't doing any good and. Punched a cast right in, and, you know, and landed within an inch of the rock and started shaking out. And that first hop, I was onto a fish and I thought, okay, well, that's pretty cool because that's only in about, you know, a foot and a half of water. And yeah. so as soon as that happened, threw another one out there and I think it was, you know, three fish in 10 casts um, in less than three foot of water. And that was phenomenal. That was really, really good. Um because again, Barrenjuk's not known to be an edge bite. Um, it's 
yeah. spring, summer, winter, doesn't matter if you were to go to Burrenjuk, you, you know, most consistent way is to fish the trees. Um, so it yeah. was really good to have a really good bite on the edge um, at, at my local dam because usually it's something I'd go and travel to Windermere for um, or one of those other places to um, to catch them on the edge like that. So that's, you know, that's potentially how it can be, um, how good it can get. And, um, you know, that's that's the times you, you try and get out there and take advantage of it and, and fish as much as you can. Yeah, so it and it, it does it does go through um, these stages where it can be pretty tough going and then it can fire. So you really got to make the most of when it's yeah sort that's of right. On. But yeah, and like it I does s- fish pretty well most of the time, but it does have those little lulls. Yeah, what are you gonna say? Yeah, I was just gonna say you know I've fished a really tough spring on the yellows just gone, and now I'm starting to see um, you know just over the last sort of seven to ten days a lot of mates have been going up there. And they're just trolling around and catching yellows. So, and I've been fishing Wangler and Blowering and all these other places. And I'm going. I fished all that three, four, five months of really tough fishing. And while it's now it's actually fired up, I'm off fishing other places. So, yeah. I'm actually really itching to um, to get up there and, and have a crack at them again to see, um, yeah, see what's happening and actually catch a few fish. Because once summer rolls through there like this, normally it's December, as soon as December's here, but this year it's only just summer now. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty consistent place to go to. Like from now on, even though it's super hot, it's like full, yep. it'll still fish pretty well for the next couple of months now. It's hot. Like you could troll around, you'll yeah, pick up small yeah, yeah. yellows, you'll pick up small cod. So yeah, even when it, it'd just be better if it was like 60% uh, that yeah. you'd catch twice as many. Definitely. And, and trolling will be um, probably your... Yeah, more consistent way of, of running into a yellow or a cod because you just there is so much water, there's so much bank, and with trolling you get to cover more of that bank more often basically. Um, so that's you know that's probably a good way to approach the dam at the minute. And again, if you come across you know a fish or two, um, you basically just cycle back around that later on and, and have a cast at it if you want to um, to try and you know, sort of concentrate a bit more effort on that one sort of spot. Um, yeah. And it does quite often get to, you know, end of January into Feb where it gets really, really hot. The fish push really deep and it can get really, really tough. Um, and then it sort of doesn't cycle back around to, you know, being a little bit easier to fish until sort of that mid-March period. Um, yes. This year could be a little bit different. Like I say, on average, the water temps have been down, and even though we're yeah. seeing thirty on the top now, you've only got to put your, you know, go and do a pin drop off your boat out there somewhere, and you'll soon feel that it's pretty cool down below still. So it'll be interesting to see if that water temp does transcend all the way through the water column, or whether it does stay a little bit cooler, and uh, and the fish might even stay up a little bit higher all the way through, and. You know, we could have a really, really good summer, like second half of summer up there. Yeah, I don't think it'll get too hot. Not being a hundred with rain still flowing in. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Because it was, <clears throat> what year was it when we went in that forty degrees? Well, you were up there and I was yeah that up was, there fishing with Chris. That was twenty nineteen, I think, just before. So I think it filled up not long after, like the following. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Winter, like four months later, yeah, two months later, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was 40 and stable, and we were up there in a week of 42s. And when we were there, it was 42 and 43, yeah, and it was super tough fishing. But we ended up finding them. I really didn't want to troll, but we ended up finding them 
down deep and I hooked two in about a minute. Yeah. I hooked one after we got it back. My lure just got back to the bottom, hooked another one, and that was trolling in 10 metres of water and keeping the lure in about seven, and I found them all sitting yep. down in that depth and feeding. So even in that seven, eight metres, they were comfortable. Yes. Um, and that was... The water temp would have probably been about 20, 24 down that deep, and it was like 30 up top. Yeah, yeah, that was hot, hot. I remember that. Not, that was um, the hottest I've ever fished in. I was, really hot. Yeah, I was actually fishing treetops again on that session when you guys up there at the same time doing that trolling run and I didn't turn a scale on the treetops because they'd all moved, you know, just in that two-week period where I was catching them two weeks early in the treetops, they'd all moved um, out deeper and into those deeper, rockier edges um, just because the water just got too hot for them to, to hang up in the treetops. So, Well, uh, we did the treetops for two days yeah. and we're like, this was working. People were catching fish yeah. last week doing this. What's going on? Absolutely, yep. And we, Talos, I think Talos, he got the shits and went, that's it, I've had enough, I'm trolling. <laughs> And he trolled around the left-hand corner into the basin. So, he was sitting in the, the very the very, <coughs> the very bottom of the bidgey arm yep. and we are facing the basin. He went left, I went right. Yep. I went along the flats out there and he went along the rock and then he called me and he's like, we just dropped one. Mm-hmm. And I think it broke a bib actually. It was a good hit. And then about half an hour later, I got a 94 and then lost a 90 at the boat. So, yep. they still will. And, and like if you look at this year, that was low hot, no rain, so yes. they'll definitely still feed, but they'll probably stay up, like, like you were saying, they probably won't even get that deep. But even when it is really hot, it's still comfortable if you get down 10 or 8 metres. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's still comfortable. I don't like to fish any deeper than about 8 or 9 um, with my lure. Like, I'll fish in deeper, but I won't let my lure get much deeper because, I, I, yeah, most fish will struggle to survive being pulled yeah, up. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. yeah. If they're not chewing up high, then I pretty well... Don't try to annoy them down deep. No, Some people right. do fish for them deep, but uh, I think it's too dangerous for the fish themselves. Yeah, it is because, I mean, it, you know, you've got that warm water trauma that they suffer. Like, even if you're sitting them up in a net, you think, you know, they're all sweets in a net, but that water temp at, you know, high 20s into the 30s is potentially five, six, seven degrees warmer than what they're um, comfortable sitting at. So, you, yeah, you do potentially risk killing a, a big fish. Um, yeah, by pulling them out of that depth, but and it's flaming uncomfortable too. That when it's that hot. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember sleeping on my boat one night there because it was just that stinking hot, sitting like laying on the bank in a swag, and there was no air movement at all. And I ended up yeah, going and tying the boat up to a tree and just laying the swag on the front deck and um, yeah, sleeping out there because it was just that little bit cooler, sitting on the water and. <laughs> you know, had a wet rag and I was, was wetting myself down. Oh, I think it was something like thirty something degrees at midnight um, on that. Yeah, yeah. And it was just stiflingly hot. We pulled in at one, and I went for a swim because it was too hot. <laughs> like I couldn't bear the heat. Yeah. And I was that sticky from sunscreen and that. I went for a swim, and I don't swim. I hate swimming. Yeah. And it was. I wasn't cold. Like it was. It was hot. And then you get to and July and you one o'clock in minus fives. Yeah, I know. Yeah, good. I've fished minus eight at Baron Jack. Yeah, that's cold. Yeah, this is the opposite. So um, that's good summary of Baron Jack, and obviously there's so much more we can cover, but yeah. there's a whole heap more content we've produced anyway in the in the platform. But I want to talk really quickly, if you don't have to run yet. Um, no, you're right. About just a couple of things that we've been learning of late, just a discussion, see where it goes, just about... There's so many different things to talk about, but like a, what we've been learning, what we've been doing over the summer, you did it, I've done it, we've just been trolling... Um, and I've just had the live tech 
pointing backwards. Yeah. Um, following our lures, and it's really yeah. interesting. It's actually we did it at Eildon, um, and it annoyed me because um, <laughs> I couldn't really see what was going on down there, and it really annoyed me. But I actually did a bit. I did when I went out with the boys the other day. Yeah. And when I was up there with the young fellow Tyson, and he called that eighty-eight. There was three young fellows in the boat. Yeah. And I didn't have a rod, so I was like, well. I may as well sit up here with the the pole and just turn around. And I thought it was really handy fishing with the kids, yeah. and I could tell them that they were too high. Yeah. I could be like, "Hey guys, your your lure's in like two and a half, three meters, yeah. and we're in like seven. I said, "Just let out a bit of line." Yeah. Or with spinner baits, I could tell that we were trolling too quick because obviously, if you run quicker, yeah. the spinner baits come up in the water. Yeah. Anyway, we've been using it a bit, but what's and we we talked about this. We've talked about this over winter. We talked about it probably at Coped and in that podcast about how you've got fish, you've got cod that sit up high and they cruise around, right? Yeah. Yep. You've also got cod that sit on the bottom, which can't see on the live tech. Yep. And I find it blaring. Those fish that are up cruising around are so difficult to catch. And the ones that we used to catch before using it were ones that are hugging the bottom and they ambush your lure on the drop, yep. like you cast in. Yeah. Because. None of those cod that follow will eat on a pause. They all, I'm going to stop yeah, none, 90% right. spook. Yes. Yep. So, we're, we're we're thinking the fish are in two different mindsets. And even now, it's summer and we've been trolling around. Yep. What have you found? It's interesting, eh? Oh, it's, yeah. Um, I've actually had a lot of fun uh, the last couple of trips. Um, yeah, trolling, trolling with the, with the, um, with the live scope down. Um, and like you say, yeah, all those things about being able to put your lure in exactly the right spot. But we would come across, um, I didn't actually have any fish respond that were sitting up high in the water column. Um, most of those fish would actually spook if I, you know, because I'd crank the spinnerbait up to them and run it over the top, and they would actually spook before the spinnerbait even got to them. Um, the fish that we had that would actually eat were all coming out of either a lay down or a rock up off the bottom on the bottom um there was one there and you can actually see the fish moving just as the lure goes over the top of this stump you can see him already sort of moving his body to come out and chase this lure and yep. comes out stays under it sort of right up with it and then sort of dives down back up dives down and the third time he came up i actually just started to lift my rod and so the spinnerbait was lifting up in the water column and just traveling a little bit faster and got absolutely creamed by this fish which I ended up dropping a few seconds later um, but to watch them you know climb up out of their stump and and just be on the chew like that was was pretty cool to see and and I think like you say those fish in those thick laydowns or sitting in amongst those rocks are going to be really difficult to see if you're scoping and casting to them because they're not going to move unless the lure gets to them and so yeah, yeah. you know they're just sitting there dead still so yeah, you're chasing these fish that you can see sitting up high and quite often those fish aren't the ones it's feeding. It's it's the fish that are sitting in ambush um, in their structure that um, that are more active and, and feel more comfortable to actually come out and, and hit the prey. So, Especially in summer. Winter might be slightly different yeah. in some waterways, but definitely yeah. summer. Yeah. And I've done the um, same thing at Wangler um, last week where I was trolling a big spinnerbait. The other guys was trolling a hard bodies, I think. And so I was just, I just had my live scope just mounted up the front, just pointing straight out the back. Um, and I was just sitting down in the, in the back chair and I was watching my lure. It, you know, it was going in and out of the beam, of course, but it was there often enough where you go, rightio, if there was a big you know, stump or whatever, 
I'd see it show up on my side scan and go, okay, now I'll watch it roll through the scope and then I'd see me lure. I'd be able to just lift up, run it right over top and just watch fish just climb out of it and just come racing up to... And not all, not one of them, I shouldn't say not all of them, not even one fish would come out of the stump and hit it straight away. Every, no. every single fish would come up, get right on its tail and then shoot back down to the bottom. It would disappear and then next thing you know he's screaming back up to have another look at it. I counted one fish I recorded for over 40 seconds. He was on my spinnerbait before he actually hit it. Um, you know, and, so cool. And then that amount of time, you've travelled a fair bit of water. Like you've dragged him a long way from his stump, but he's just that determined to either, you know, and you think, okay, is it the bait that's not quite right or is it the fish actually wanting to position himself properly so that he doesn't yeah, yeah. waste that strike and miss? You know? Yeah, that could be a big component because they are very spooky fish. Yeah, so I'm not 100% sure on which one it is, but they definitely take the time to get a bead on what that lure is doing, almost like they're learning what that's what they think is their prey. They're learning what their movements are so they can position themselves to actually hit it and hit it successfully. So yeah, it's been like super, super interesting um, to watch that and I've, yeah, it's definitely something that I'll, I'll I'll keep doing a little bit more of because yeah, it's like just another aspect of that fish behaviour that you get to see firsthand. Um, and uh, you know whether they hit it or not, it's 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 cool. neither here nor there. It's more just watching a fish being a fish. I went back. Um, if we go back two years, we actually had a, I went up to Blair with a mate and he had one of those troll cams. Yeah. Um, and we ran that and we only spinnerbait because you can't put on a hard body because you'd never see what the footage is. But yeah. on the spinnerbait, he had follows from carp and yellows during that session. We were kind of trolling for yellows. It was a little spinnerbait. But yeah, yeah. I've always thought, oh, we should just get a camera out and yeah. and run it in bland because it's clear. Yeah. But this is like 20 times better than a camera because you'll pick up fish the whole way through. Like you won't have yeah. like two meters of visibility. So yeah, yeah. I, I was like, I, I would love to know how they eat our lures. Like it'd be great to get up here in the day and do it. Yeah. So, with the introduction of this, we kind of can even oh, better yeah. and I'm learning so much about them on the troll because we've talked about this. When we cast to them, right, even in winter, I shoot a beam of 25 meters. I know Hocko goes about 22 to 21 meters. Yep. Um, I shoot 25. Yep. Now, the reason being is I like to keep the fish if we're, if we're casting to them and we can see them on the live. Yep. I like to keep them between 15 to 20 yep. because by the time the lure passes them, the fish turns and starts to follow. Once you hit 15 meters, your lure starts to rise. Yeah, yeah. Like you can't keep it down there without pausing it and then it sort of pendulum swings and just sits there and That's does right. nothing. But yeah, yeah. It's And the fish and the lure starts to rise. So that, And we, we're missing so many fish that follow, 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 it rises, rises and then they spook. Yeah, they follow and it all you the way. And you and I the had yeah. the... Yeah, and I thought you and now when with this trolling, you've got that fish there that just yep. followed it for forty seconds and ate, right? Yeah. Yep. If you cast it at him, he would have spooked because he needed longer to yeah. assess what was going on. Yep. So we we still haven't implemented this because I think it's pretty hard to do, and you're gonna need two people. But the fact where we cast, get the fish to turn at twenty meters. Yeah. Have our le- electric ready to go. It's hard because usually you're going with the fish it to is. chase yep. it. Yep. Turn the electric around once he follows and get the speed right and troll backwards yep. or whatever direction yep. and troll your lure once they've seen it when you're casting at him. Now, it's 
Yeah. I tried it the other night and it's very hard when it's really still and quiet. Yes. Because the fish are spooky and I almost think it won't work because the fish hear the electric start. It'll be interesting. Um, it's definitely something that I'll be I'll be trying to do because I think it's a it's a really good idea and it's it's definitely gonna work if we can make it as anglers, if we can work out how to do it, you will definitely increase your hookup rate on those fish. Yes. Because, yeah, so many times, you know, they come following, following, and then your lure's going to rise or, like you say, you start pausing it and the lure's just like a dead stick in the water. And so they just yep. lose interest and or they're right underneath your boat when they turn away and spook. But if they were able to follow that swim bait, plastic, For an extra whatever 20 it might meters. be, oh, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what they do in the troll. Like they... Yep. Like you're saying, they do not nope. they do not eat it straight away. I've and I've I watched that one of top now going back to the fish on the bottom and the fish high. Yep. I think it depends on the lake, it also depends on the time of day. But that one that Tyson caught, yep. we were actually trolling and he was the fish was in against the bank and I scanned him up out in against the bank and as we passed him, he was making his way out mid water. Yep. Um and he swam out mid water. And we trolled past him and he sort of lined himself up with the lures and then I could see the lures and the fish. I'm like, he's following us and he's a good fish and he was mid-water. Yeah. We were in seven and a half meters. The fish was in four, uh, four and a half. Yeah. Two of the boys' spinnerbaits were a meter off the bottom and the other one, because I hadn't watched him, obviously I hadn't seen the spinnerbait for a, a few minutes. He'd yeah, wound yeah. it up for some reason. Yeah. And it was sitting in three and a half, like way too high. Yeah. And I watched this fish and he's sitting mid-water and he's following and he's following and he's following. I'm like, he's going to go up and he started going up. So, he, he'd line himself up with that high spinnerbait. He started to go up, started to go up and he just slowly gained on it, slowly gained on it, slowly gained on it and then he got about an inch off it and then just accelerated and went whack. But yep. he still needed the time to get to it. Like, yeah. he still needed the time to watch it and watch it and the lure wasn't changing. Yep. So, I think what you're saying there is that they assess the lure. Yes. And when we're casting at them, if the lure starts to rise, well, that's a change. So, the fish is like, hang on, yep. I need to reassess again. So, they almost need more time, whereas this lure is sitting at the same height. Yeah. So, he's gaining on it, gaining on it, gaining on it. He's like, yeah, it's just, it's sitting, like it's not moving yep. any like left or right or up and down. And he lined himself up, adjusted and just went whack. Yeah, exactly. So, yep. he's grabbed he's grabbed that lure mid-water. Yeah. Before sunrise, because that fish was out looking for a feed. Yeah, okay, yep. I think we were really lucky with that fish, though, because the boat didn't pass over him. If the boat had passed over him, yeah. he would have known the boat was there and it would yep. have been completely different. It just happened that he swam out yeah. as the boat passed. Yep. Um, because the thing I'm finding, and this is the other thing I was explaining the other day, I was up trolling at Blang. We went over a log. We went over a couple of fish. I went over a couple of big fish. Yep. And you'd troll over them. They'd show up on your sonar. Yep. Then you'd see them on... I'd see them on the sonar first. Yep. Uh, no, I wouldn't. You'd see them on the front one first. Then they'd scan up on the sonar. Yep. Then you'd see them. You're like... Oh, actually, sometimes I think you'd see them on the sonar because it's a wider beam. And then I'd be like, hang on, there's one here. And yeah. I'd just scan left and right a little bit, find him. Yep. And then you'd troll over him, right? <laughs> And he would turn around and come up and look at the boat. <laughs> Weird critters. And it, 
it gave it was so annoying people be like yeah here we go we're on to one we're on to one and you, you yeah. used to troll over it with the sonar and you're like right there's a big cod down there we're gonna go over him that's right yeah but he'd turn around at five meters and come up and look at the boat and he'd never see the lure yeah he'd follow the boat follow the boat follow the boat and then he'd swim left or right and never see the lure no and there was one yeah and there was one I trolled over this big log I'm like right oh, we're on here I'll just I'll bounce this lure up over the log yep the spinner mate I was at 15 metres and that's what's handy about it you can sort of roll it bump it over the log drop it back into the log like yep. let your rod tip down yep. which is what you've been doing yeah yeah trolled over the log got over the top of the log got to about 5 metres from it this big cod just come emerged <laughs> out of the log yep and swam up and looked at the back of the boat I'm like you're kidding me <laughs> so I actually had a bit of trouble yeah, getting okay. lures on top of fish yeah. for that purpose and you would never know that they used to do that. No. You would no. never know they used to do that. You wouldn't even imagine. So, we're almost thinking, and i talk to you, is almost to the point where you um, work out what height that those could come up and sit behind the boat at and it, it might sound stupid but if it's going to catch fish, it might work to almost downrig for them and put the exact lure like a nice big soft plastic yeah. yep. at that perfect depth. Yep. Five, six, seven metres behind the boat. Yeah, yeah. It'd be definitely be interesting to see if they eat. Yeah, it would be interesting to see whether they're coming up um, because they're thinking that there's possibly, you know, there's some sort of sound at the hearing going, oh, there's something to eat up there, or whether it's just, I'm going to go up and have a look at that Inquisitive. for whatever reason. Is that another big fish that I'm going to go and have a chat to? Or, you know what I mean? Like, could be a million different reasons. Um, but Most of the time, have you found that if they see the boat, even when you're winter casting, yeah, if they see the boat, they don't eat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen that in so many different situations. Even you know, bass on the river back in the day. Like I had an old canoe back in the day on the river there. Um, and if you you know poked in too close to your edge of your bank where you're going to cast to, even though the fish didn't spook, like you'd see him sitting in there, he wouldn't spook, but he knew you were there, so he just would just go into a, a sort of a, you know, a self-preserving sort of a mode and, and just wouldn't eat for, you know, however long because he knew something just wasn't quite right. And I've seen it in yeah. Brim up at Foster when I fished up there where, you you know, you think you're sneaking into an oyster loose when it's really clear. Um, but, you know, a shadow, your shadow's gone over them or something like that and the fish still sit there but they just go, hang on a minute, something's not right. I'm not going to eat for however long because I'm not comfortable, something's out of place and, and so I'm just going to shut down for a bit. Um, yeah. And the cods, yeah, the, the cod are no different. And I, I think I think yellows are probably pretty much the same as well. Like they're probably not as bad, but, um, yeah, you can certainly get situations where if, if you sit over top of them and they're up too high, then, um, yeah, they won't necessarily spook as in, you know, dart off. They'll just, you know, sit there and go, well, I'm not going to eat that because, you know, there's this big shadow. That's not right. Just big shadows come over me, and I'm, I'm not feeling comfortable, so I'm not going to eat just yet. Yeah. So, so what do you, what do you think about that high versus low stuff? Um, like the ambush, it's 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 because I was talking about the other day. It's, it's crazy. Like I think I, the summertime. Yeah. They're ambushing from the bottom. That's what happened with you at Wyangler and that. Yeah. Yeah, All yeah. The fish were yeah. sitting. Yeah. Any fish that sat up high um, that we crossed, they weren't eating. The only fish that we yeah. actually got to follow were the fish that were coming up out of a rock pile, like some of those big boulders at Wyangler or uh, the big laydowns at, at Bar and Juck there in some spots. Um, the only fish that we got to eat were those ones that were sitting down deep. 
uh, anything sitting up high, we'd sort of cruise over them. And like you say, whether it's, you know, obviously the boat's gone over them first, um, but none of them would actually even show any interest at all in, in the lure. And you think even if they were half inclined to feed, they'd still sort of half turn and have a look, but, um, but none of them actually did. So I, I think sometimes you just got to remember that a, that a fish is a fish too. Like they've got their own sort of moods, I suppose, and they don't have to yeah. do what we think that they should be doing. Um, you know, they can cruise around anywhere they feel comfortable within that water column and they can just be a fish. They don't have to be a feeding fish or a shutdown fish. They're, they're just being a fish. And, you know, yeah. if they want to do that at three metres down, they can. If they want to sit on the bottom, they can do that too and, and not eat. So, um, But, yeah, I've sort of found uh, from my experience, I mean, I've only done a couple of trips with the with the live scope on the trolling thing and, um, yeah, it's all been the fish that have been sitting down on the bottom that are the ones that are actually uh, feeding. So, uh, but I have it, another... Keep going, sorry. The other side of that, of course, is the winter time. That quite often those fish that are up cruising around in winter are, are up there feeding, and maybe the bait's sort of sitting up a bit higher, and that's why they're up there doing it. And you know, in summertime, they they could be the bait sort of sitting down a bit lower, or they're sort of more focused on crustaceans and things like that, like eating yabbies and things. So that's obviously in relation to the bottom rather than mid or high water column. Another thing I've noticed, right, which kind of contradicts everything that I was telling you <laughs> yep. last week yep. was back in the day we used to troll and whenever you trolled for cod, the rule was a meter from the bottom. Yeah. So, you had to be a meter from the bottom and it always worked. I used to troll with mates in a river. Yeah. Yep. If they weren't tapping the logs, they weren't catching fish. I used to troll in the dam. Yeah. You had to be a meter from the bottom yep. to get them. Yeah. And I would still say that's the go. If you're going fishing, you want to be down near the bottom. But I've noticed that those few fish I, we caught this week... We were actually a solid meter, meter and a half, sometimes two meters off the bottom, not yep. much higher. The one that Tyson caught us because it was early. Yep. So, I'd almost based off that, you could run one rod down on the bottom, one rod mid-water and that's what we continued to do that week yeah. um, yep. in the low light. Yep. Like in the low light, we'd stagger them. We'd have one on the bottom, one a bit higher, one mid-water. Yep. Especially in the dark because you got fish out cruising around. Yeah, yeah. Once the sun got up, we still got them down the bottom. But I actually found we got a better response if the lure was up off the bottom. Okay. Like a meter off the bottom yep. because the cod always, like you were saying, want to follow. They want to yep. come up, they want to follow, and they want to eat below the lure. Yeah. Like they want to. Yeah. And we were trolling over some big cod like meteries. Yeah. And they're that big. They're already half a meter off the bottom. Like That's right. if, even if their belly's sort of scratching the bottom, they're half a meter. So yep. for them to chew it, they yep. really want to be able to turn and lift yeah, to yeah. eat yep. underneath. Yep, definitely. You never so, you never see them go nose down, like eat something below them. They're always going to eat eat something that sits above them, sort of thing. So yeah, and when we used to troll, I used to drag the bottom a lot. Like I used to be like tapping the bottom, like yeah, we're good. Yeah. But really, if I was to give advice now, I'd say once you hit the bottom, give it a bit and lift it up a bit. And then yeah. if you're in six meters trolling and you've lifted it up and then you drop to eight, well then let some more out. Um, yeah. And it's, what did you find? Yours were you had your lure up off the bottom too, yeah. Yeah, I did. But the other thing that I noticed, and it and it, and it does sort of relate to, um, you know, last New Year's when we went up there and and were fishing in the middle of the day with spinner baits at, at Blowing, and you'd be like, rightio, your lure's got to be knocking the bottom every now and then, otherwise you're not going to be in the game. What, yeah. What I noticed the other day was. Those productive big stumps that you know the fish were coming out of, some of them stumps were a good meter, meter and a half off the bottom anyway. 
And so right. my thought was, and, and the same as the rocks, I know the exact clay bank that I fished and we got four hits on in a couple of passes there last year. Some of those big rocky boulders that are under there are a fair way off the, off the bottom. So potentially yep. your lure is not always within, you know, a metre or less of the bottom. It's just that those bigger structures are the ones that you're knocking into every now and then. So Which is ideal. Yeah, so your lure is sort of tracking a metre and a half, maybe even two metres off the bottom, but you're still knocking into the occasional stump or rock because they're sticking that far up. And so therefore, mm. you know, you are still fishing above fish, even though it feels like... If you're not, you're you know, bottom. if you're not watching your lure like we are with this live scope stuff, if you're not actually watching it, it feels like oh, I'm knocking the bottom, I'm knocking the bottom, I'm knocking the bottom. But you're only yeah. doing that when you're passing over those big stumps and those big rocks. And so that's true. You know, your lure is actually tracking only. You know, it might be a meter and a half off the bottom. But if you've got you know a rock every twenty meters. It's gonna yeah. it's gonna feel like oh you know we've turned a little bit so the lure slowed down it's hit the bottom and things like that and I was you know consciously watching that the other day and thinking my lure was actually spending a fair bit of time sitting a meter and a half to two meters up off the bottom rather than being you know because if you're dragging it yeah if you're running it on the scope you can't actually see it when it's within a couple of feet of the bottom it just disappears into that bottom section on your screen yeah right? and you don't hit it yeah yeah but you can't feel it. Yeah, yeah, you're not hitting the bottom, but it looks like your lure's hitting the bottom, but yeah. it's actually not. So yeah. I, I, I'm not 100% on that just yet, but I'm thinking that we may have been trolling a little bit further off the bottom than what we imagined in our heads. Yeah. And and therefore, that's why we were getting that success because, yeah, you would bump into those rocks where those fish are sitting and they would wait for that lure to pass them and then they would have a metre and a half or two metres of water to play in as they lined up that lure to hit it. Yes. So, yeah, I'm still, the verdict's still out because, like I said, I've only done it, you know, a couple of trips. So, I'm not 100% just yet on, on what's actually happening, but I'm, I'm suspicious that that's sort of what the go is with that one. Yeah. Because one thing we do know, which I used to completely think was the opposite, I used to think Cod ate the lures head first in the dark. Yep. Um, and then behind in the day for an ambush thing. Yep. They do not eat head first. They do grab the head, yes. but they grab it from underneath. Yes. Yep. They they am, they ambush from behind and underneath, and I noticed in the daytime they sort of come up and hit the back of it from underneath because yep. I don't think they want to get too far in front. But in the dark they'll happily get underneath and yes. hit verti- like hit Almost straight vertical. up above. Yeah. Yep. And that is very very common. So they will grab the head. Yep. So it's almost like that exposure point is right under the head. Yeah. Um, and that's why sometimes you may miss some trolling spinnerbaits because they're grabbing it where there's no hook, you still get them because if they grab it and it turns, they hook up pretty well. But Yeah, I've had a couple in the last couple of sessions where I've missed them and you wind in and the tail of the spinnerbait is bent completely over and hooked on the first hook of the spinnerbait. Yes. And then you've got that second stinger that's sitting well back and you think, how did that fish miss that? But yeah, I don't know whether that's, you know, they are coming up from the back and slightly below, you know, beating it, folding the plastic back over, you feel the weight, you think you're hooked up, but it's, you know, you've just pinned them right in that rasp or something like that and it just hasn't buried into the corner. It's it's basically almost bounced off their raspy teeth, so. Yeah, and, um, but that's just one thing to note is that's a very, very common, I can almost say 95% of the time that's how they'll eat. So, yeah. you do want a gap 
between the fish needs room to get under a lure. Absolutely, that way. yes. Unless yep. you're bait fishing with a yabby and they're sucking it up off the bottom, if whatever you're using is tracking quick, yep. um, even if you're hopping a mumbler, they will eat, so that's a lie, they will eat things on the drop. So if something's fallen down to them, yep. um, I have seen one, we did get one last winter where it was hug, it was like sitting on the bottom and he did eat it okay. head first as the lure passed him. Yep. Um, that's just because of the way he was behaving and if you are hopping a lure off the bottom, that's different. But yeah. If you're trolling, if you're casting, most of the time you just want to be tracking just above the bottom to give them room to eat it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely don't want to be dragging the bottom all the time. You want to be yeah knocking on those prominent bits of structure, uh, which is more often than not in some time where they're actually sitting in. Um, which I guess it's a little bit opposite to what we, you know, we've just come out of winter time and we're all like, oh, you know, the fish aren't sitting on structure that much. They're just out cruising and eating. Where the summertime it seems like they are sort of sitting in that structure and waiting to ambush. Um, yep. a little bit more often so it's you know you sort of got to evolve your, your thinking as you go through the seasons too haven't you that's right and then the other thing though we are we are fishing in the day a lot too where we were yeah true so, yes um, yeah. I noticed the other night when I was up there uh, there was a fair few fish cruising around but there was also a lot of fish I couldn't see and we weren't trolling we were actually casting this night and yep. I think because it was a low pressure they were all sulking yeah, okay. on their logs yeah um, yeah that was just an assumption, but mm. uh, so all many, sort of assumptions, isn't it? With so just many experience on the water. Yep, so many different factors, and every time you turn around, you contradict yourself from last trip. So, um, yeah, it's so uh, it's just uh, I, I guess that's half of the thing that keeps us going over and over again is just constant evolution of knowledge of understanding of how the fish behave. Yeah, it's good fun. Mm. I just thought we'd mention that at the end of that because that was something I've noticed of late is just where they're sitting yeah, different yeah. times of day, yes. how they're sitting and how those high ones are spooking quite a bit if they see the boat, but if they don't, they're the actual ones out hunting and feeding, yeah, okay. um, yep. which are usually getting the cast, but then also yep. that gap that you need off the bottom, but yeah, it's mm. good fun. Thanks for that, mate. That was good. That went for longer than I thought, but I appreciate uh, the time no, and too easy, thanks mate. for sharing um, a bit about you know, what things can happen to us in life. Um, yeah, no, look, absolutely. And how it affected you and... Yep, and I think... Appreciate that. Some, it's hard to open up sometimes, but I know you're... Oh, mate, I'm... Yeah, I, I don't actually find it all that difficult, mate, because if it stops one person um, that listens to this podcast from getting to that point, well, um, yeah, I don't care how, how it makes me feel as I'm speaking about it. It's it's worth that to, to, I don't know, I guess save someone else from having to go down that path because... Um, it does happen and it happens a lot um, and yeah so I'm more than happy to to speak about it and yeah I'm happy for people to reach out if they do need a hand to be honest um, yeah, I'm, I'm about if someone needs to reach out and just have a bit of a chat about it then I'm there too so you know if like I said it was it's a hard slog and I think I'm still um, you know doing the battles with it at the moment but um, if someone else out there can be saved from going down that path well I'm all for it so that's all good Awesome, mate. Where's the next trip? I'd, um, what are you doing? You got, are you going out this week? You're going to go to Barranjuck? I've got to get to the Juck, mate. I've seen too many fish being caught over the last week to not move heaven and hell to get out there and have a crack at them myself because, like I said, <laughs> I've, I've done it pretty tough up until now. And then, you know, I always do summer trips. I try and get to Wyangler at least once every summer and and, uh, and same as Blairing as well. I try and get up there a bit. And Actually, Blairing's been pretty good to me over the last sort of six months. So... Um, you know, it's no surprise I got up there again uh, on New Year's Day for a fish. So, you know, but 
you know, in that period it's decided it's actually going to uh, turn around and start fishing okay. So, um, yeah, definitely keen to get out there and, um, and do that. And, of course, kids are on school holidays, so I'll be taking the boys up and try and get them on a fish. They love their trolling and, um, yeah, it's a good way to do it at the minute. So we'll, we'll go and do that and then see where the trip leads us. But, um, yeah, definitely barring jucks on well and truly in the centre of the radar at the moment. Awesome. Right on, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks for that. I'm sure I'll be in touch and good luck. Too easy, mate. Thank you. And there you have it, guys. Another chat all finished up. And what a good way to start 2022 with a cracking episode with Dan. Um, I do, like I said, we fish quite a bit together. So I had a few ideas of what we wanted to talk about in that episode. And it was pretty casual chat between Dan and myself. We've done a few live Q&As together, but it flowed really, really well. And I hope you guys picked up plenty from that, especially if you are a local or if you're traveling to fish Barrenjuk, this will be a pretty good bit of information for you guys to use as research. Now, if you're after more information on Barrenjuk, Dan writes a monthly report. Now, you remember how he talked about how the fishing can be really tough and really good depending on the scenarios and what's going on. Dan writes an updated report that goes up on the first of every single month inside the SF membership. That report, he shares his trips, where he's been catching them, what's been working, if it's not worth fishing, or if it is worth fishing, it is all in that report. That is one of 15 and even more reports on different areas that you'll get access to inside the SF membership. There is also plenty of videos and articles in there on Barrenjuk as well. Dan writes feature articles and he's also featured in some videos. We've filmed some videos up there, catching cod on surface, um, doing a whole heap of different techniques, what the key seasons are. Plus, you've got access to articles and content on all the different techniques that work there that's all written down in the membership. And if it doesn't get even any better, there's also the SF maps. The SF maps give you access to all five areas of the lake, where the concentrations of golden perch hold, where the concentrations of cod hold, at what time of year. Plus, you've got photos of all the key pins that we have put on the map, photos showing you the structure, the rocky banks, all the key areas. It's all in the SF maps. So if you're after more, if you're traveling, if you're doing a trip, if you're after more, jump on the platform and check it out. You'll get that and you'll get all the other maps that we produce. So you can learn more about it at socialfishing.com.au. But that's basically where we spend a lot of our time now because we used to get so many questions, even Dan does now, get so many questions on people wanting to learn more about different waterways. And we wanted to help you. That's why we created the platform. I wanted to help you guys but there was no way I could service every single person sending a message and an email through social media about, I'm fishing blaring this weekend, I'm fishing this this weekend. So we decided to build a platform. We're continuing to build it. And the only way we can do that is through the membership. So the more members we can get on, the more maps and the more reports we can get on and the more content. So that is all there for you guys. It's socialfishing.com.au. It is the SF membership platform. Jump on and check it out if you want more content. But Dan and I did go over a fair bit today, which should arm you with a good bit of knowledge if you are heading out to Burrenjuk to chase cod. Now, if you have any more questions at all, you can always shoot them through to me at reese at socialfishing.com.au. You can also get onto Dan on social medias on Instagram, Dan underscore Weber underscore fishing. You can hit him up on Instagram and he'd be happy to have a chat and help you out. And if you did enjoy this episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. That is it for me for the first episode, guys. I'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks with another one. We have 
have a reoccurring guest or a guest that has been on once before, and it's going to be really good to touch base with him again. I'm super keen for this chat. It's a legend in the industry, and I know you guys will enjoy it as well. But that's it for me, guys. I'll be talking to you next week. My name is Reese Creed, and you've been listening to The Social Fishing Podcast.